Good morning, everyone. It is Barry Lyndon time around here. Man, we, got, we know how to have a good time. I know, right? We've got the movie crew in here, plus Lou. How's it going? Lou's, <laughs> Lou's off mic, but uh, he'll be here in spirit. So, Barry Lyndon, let's hop into it since this podcast is based on our general correlative track, going to be three and a half hours long. <laughs> um, does anyone want to introduce this film? I certainly didn't pick it. I wasn't even aware it was a thing. Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Stanley fucking Kubrick. Well, we were doing, you know, sort of epic films, and this thing happened to show up on uh, Amazon, and I was like, well, goddamn, I want to sit through that. I wonder if somebody else would sit through it with me. Um, so, and Luckily, you have a crew. Yeah, I have a crew <laughs> that, you can that call is upon. willing to do this. That's right. So coming off our, our last movie, Days of Heaven, you know, we have like sort of an epic that, that nobody really liked that would have benefited from a different star. Well, here's the thing. That movie would have benefited from Ryan O'Neill. And Ryan O'Neill <laughs> is in Barry Lyndon. And this movie took 16 months to shoot. So that's probably why he couldn't be in Days of Heaven because he was busy filming this movie, which is also about a man whose class is not where he'd like it to be. He'd like to be a little higher up. Um, and there's a lot of like trials and tribulations as we go through his life as a social opportunist. But perhaps that's a monkey's paw curling right there which uh we'll get this is a two-parter yeah yeah this um, movie has an intermission yeah deserved <laughs> so, so might this podcast yeah so. yeah frankly this one so yeah barry linden follows the uh the mishaps and travails of, of uh, the irishman redmond barry redmond barry and the first part is aptly named how he became Barry Lyndon. Mm -hmm. um, this film, Ryan, you described, it, and this sort of informed every subsequent watch I had of this movie, which has been three now. Um, you were describing the method by which Kubrick chooses what to film. Yes. So normally, right, when you when people talk about art, they usually talk about it as like some sort of like inspirational uh, affect, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh, art, it's so inspirational, right? It's and passion. Yes, it's passion. And so many people make art uh, about things they love or things they love to do or things that are near and, and endearing to them. And uh, that is not how Stanley Kubrick chooses, uh, chooses to make films or what he makes films about. Uh, Stanley Kubrick makes movies about things that he hates, yes. things that he detests, Things that I think cut him so quick and so utterly to his core that he must expel them from himself through glorious and beautiful cinema. And to approach Barry Lyndon, not as see, seeing it as something that someone likes or enjoys, but seeing it be a film about things that Stanley Kubrick hates, about characters and attributes, about humanity that he hates. About honor systems, about class systems, about like military leadership. About the falseness of hierarchy and, yes. and tradition. Um, all of this is really wrapped up Women. into... Uh, yeah. what he found yeah, yeah. about uh, that is uh, yes unfortunately very accurate yeah. as well. yeah. Kubrick had a thing about women um, which I don't think we sh I, I want to gloss over for now and get yeah. back to but a little wait, bit later yeah, that, yeah. that no. doesn't become important till uh, act two of this particular movie so we'll we'll hold off on that topic well and not to and not as well to like you know like like to shelve the uh, his demons in particular right like I, I think that for because I I love Kubrick so dearly. I also, I think, try to make sure that I'm at least aware of some of his biggest 
personal failings that make, um, at least people should be, I think, aware of, or at least recognize that there are some failings to his vision uh, of cinema. And I think his vision of humanity as well, which I'm not, it's, going, it's dark. I don't feel, I'm not going to defend as thoroughly as I did uh, or for other filmmakers because I don't feel up to the task. To well, I mean, we're, we're going to delve into it. I All mean, right. this movie, this movie deserves a look that way. And I've arranged this Great. in such a way that we will actually go through the plot because normally, normally the movies we pick are a little fast and loose with plot and it doesn't matter. I think the plot actually does a very good job. And this is one of the many, many reasons this is a great movie mm -hmm. is that the plot gives you chunks to chew on. Mm -hmm. Like at every scene, it gives you a certain collage of things to look at. All right. Um, starting with the very first one. So this movie, it we start out with a little introduction to uh, Barry's family. And we learned that his father was killed in a duel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and from the very first narrated sentence, yes. we know that this movie is farce. Right. Barry's father had been bred, like many other young sons of a genteel family, to the profession of the law. And there is no doubt he would have made an eminent figure in his profession had he not been killed in a duel which arose over the purchase of some horses. Um, the original uh, Makepeace Thackeray, whatever the hell that guy's yeah. name is. <laughs> yes, that's true. William Makepeace Thackeray, Yeah, yes. William Makepeace Thackeray, uh, he was a satirist. So and this, this was, th yeah, this, this, this was, uh, it was originally a uh, book that was compilated off a series of vignettes in a magazine. So, you know, it was plot-driven more than character-driven, um, but satire overall. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and... And it's important to point out, I think, that Kubrick is not necessarily putting a spin on the story. There is there, the story was written to be laughed at in the way I think that it is portrayed. Yeah, and, in and this it's film. also it's also uh, it's it's an example of and it, Kubrick does play with this, but um, the original work was uh, one of those unreliable narrator sort of bits where Bear, uh, you know, Redmond Barry is narrating the story to you and he can't necessarily be trusted. Uh, Kubrick takes a kind of a step back and we have an intrusive narrator that is, you know, he's, he can be aggressive at times with how he presents what's going on. But he is ethereal. We don't yeah. know who he is. Yeah, he, but he's not someone that's in the story. He's someone that is just observing. Yeah, he's all-knowing but not objective. Yeah. And that's no. what I think is, is yeah. fun about he's this. <laughs> and the, the, you know, the way that's revealed to us um, is, you know, the, you know, through, through, you know, it's obviously an older gentleman who's the narrator. The the, the accent is 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 very becoming of 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 a, of a you know fireside told story, and um, you know we're kind of just open into and 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 slowly moved into this world, um, you know by seeing a, you know a, a duel between what it, for for us is, is two anonymous participants, mm -hmm. um, but yet initially we are shown uh, what becomes another hallmark of this film uh, is the way in which it's filmed and the manner of uh, of the movement uh, or the focus of the camera. Uh, there will be dozens of shots in this film that are either pan outs or pan ins, right? We're, we're giving an initial frame and then as either the narrator or the characters themselves move through the scene, there is either a panning out or a panning into or going into a scene uh, that is revealed to us, right? Kubrick so, lives in the wide angle. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's a, it's a rather clever uh, device that he implements throughout this, right? Because it is both, um, uh, because he's doing so much here, right? He is, 
This novel is written uh, in the 1820s to 1840s. Mm -hmm. It is set uh, about 100 years prior in the 1740s to 1760s. 1773-ish is where we kind of wrap up at the end. So yeah, we're like the mid-18th century when this is taking place. Right, absolutely. In the farmlands of Ireland. Yes. Yes. And then it kind of adopts for its major uh, um, aesthetic and visual motifs, um, a kind of uh, uh, romantic um, uh, painting, right? This romantic art style of this kind of glorification of nature, these these amazing pic- uh, uh, picturesque uh, uh, scenes throughout, um, and as well with very over-stylized, complicated, uh, um, you know, visual techniques that are going on in, with it yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, as far as technically, yeah, like camera-wise, camera, camera wise, like, this thing gets really complicated because this thing does not even use, it doesn't use lights. Like, there's no... It's all naturally everything lit. Everything is naturally lit, yeah. even the scenes at night, which uh, proved to be very complicated at the time. Yeah, many of the and shots... And it gives it definitely a feel that yeah. you don't see in other films. Many of the interior shots are compl- are only lit by candlelight, yeah. right? So for And for those for anyone who's ever had to take a picture in a room at <laughs> night, um, we can imagine how difficult this would be with camera technology from the 1970s. And it shows even in the... I mean, this is the wonkish side of this that I'm familiar with as a budding videographer. Um, this stuff was all filmed wide, wide open. Mm-hmm. The lenses... Yeah. I can only imagine how big and chunky the lenses that were used in these scenes were. There's a scene early on, which we'll get to in a minute, um, where it's filmed inside by candlelight. Yep. Uh, the first love scene has... Um, just incredible, ridiculous softness and bloom, which is a direct result of trying to crank the iris of the aperture open far enough that they could actually see what the hell is going on right. there. Um, there's the technical artifice around the, the the outside of this film is it, it's something. Yeah. Um, and what is really amazing is that sometimes these limitations become you know these these necessities become virtues, right? Like they tend to. Um, by kind of pushing the limits of what he was able to do, he has solved problems for himself in in ways that are you know both innovative and yet un- uniquely in the realm of Kubrick. Uh, the, one, the one quick example that kind of demonstrates this beforehand, um, before we get into the plot of this, is that um, Kubrick made a film about a decade before this called Doctor Strangelove, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. I had seen three of his. Yes, movies. and okay. in this film, uh, it uh, the the vast uh, half the plot takes place on a uh, nuclear-armed um, uh, st- strategic bomber. And the problem was was that they had no idea what a nuclear-armed strategic bomber looked like because they were all top secret, yeah. right? Nobody wanted <laughs> to reveal them. <laughs> so Stanley Kubrick, right, <coughs> in, in wanting to uh, imbue his film uh, with a sense of realism, uh, got together with a group of engineers, none of whom met each other, and through many conversations with aeronautical engineers and, and people like that, basically reconstructed a uh, a a massive B twenty nine super fortress that was so comparatively um, realistic to what they actually were that he was investigated by the FBI after doing so, <laughs> but he had just cobbled the whole thing together. And once again, the that this the the length of time that it took to do this, the attention to detail that that he becomes famous for, um, um, the meticulousness by which he approaches filmmaking um, in, in all aspects, right? Like, all to just demonstrate things that he does not like. Yes, exactly. There's the so much obsession <laughs> over over things that irritate, frustrate, and otherwise anger him. And I, um, I got nothing but love for that. That's yeah. all I got to say. And it all starts with a pistol shot 
ending Redmond Berry's father's life in a dispute over horses, uh, specifically the, the, the part of this line that makes it not merely um, you know, a farce, but borderline insane, is that this line contain this one narrative line, which I'll just edit in because it's 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 too perfect. He was a lawyer mm-hmm. who died in a duel over a domestic dispute, yes. which is filmed in a wide angle at a distance to cover these this absolutely gorgeous landscape yeah. that will permeate every element of this these people's mm-hmm. incredibly stupid lives. Yes. Um and then we are also introduced to Barry's mother in yes. this scene. Very, very short amount of time, but she's she's basically introduced as a rock upon which Barry can rest. Mm-hmm. Um, she won't remarry, and the rest of it. It's interesting that she's almost put into this film as a point as a static object. Yeah. Um, who doesn't really come into play until part two? No. Um, which. Speaking of which, moving into uh, the next scene is First Love. Oh, yes. This is this with is Nora a Brady. Wonderful. So we've got like the girl <laughs> in the town who's been throwing at herself at people for five years and hasn't gotten anywhere. Um, also happens to be Redmond Berry's, you know, cousin, cousin or something. Enough, far enough, I should yeah, say. Yeah. It, yeah. At that point, it was fine. And um, it, it's just this amazingly awkward scene. Uh, where she hides a ribbon in her shirt and has him try to find it, and all he, set to this cloying lyre music. Yep. Yeah, is, this little chamber music playing. It is it is like awkward and long, and uncomfortable. So Ryan O'Neill, we already brought up as being a babyface in the same vein as Richard Gere per se. Yeah, um, but with a much more longing impression upon well, he's it. like more he's i i he's more emo in in like certain ways like he he's he's more dramatic as in the term drama yeah certainly <laughs> yeah like he's a he he feels like a stage actor yeah a lot of yeah. times um and that works really well in this scene only because we were already introduced to how stupid all of this is this is the if this had been the first scene of this film even with the narrator who the narrator literally just sounds like an old man reading lines off a script. So I, he's he's inherently funny. But, and but like, is we, that any subjective enough that, you know. But if but if we thought we were supposed to take this seriously, this scene would be insufferable. Mm-hmm. Because this is the this is the most stereotypical bullshit. But we know that Redmond Barry, coming from the stock he does, must be an at least partially ineffective person. Yeah. And that just that comes across in his the struggle of boyhood that he is undertaking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and this will be the first of many, I, you know, it, the, the fact that I didn't like days of heaven is not the reason it's going to pull this comparison. It's just the most obvious. One no, to draw it's, from. Well, it's the thing that we, and there's plenty and of comparisons on, on, you know, a so, surface level. Anyways. So we were talking, we were talking at the end of days of heaven about the questions that you have to chew on mm-hmm. when you watch a scene, particularly in an epic film where things are being drawn out. Yeah. And because there is this bit of farce, and Ryan O'Neill is actually a good actor. Yeah. Um, you you have a lot in every scene to just spin cycle with. Mm-hmm. Um, and this becomes more apparent as the film goes on. Like, initially, it's just funny. Like, this scene and Captain Quinn and the people were about to... It's, it's mostly played for laughs. But even as it gets into part two, you still have 
even as it becomes more emotionally resonant, just because we've been with the characters long enough, you can actually invest in them. Um, and there is some sort of right and wrong that starts developing, which is just absent at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Um, it always has that little twist that this is all stupid. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and I I actually want to I, I want to bring in the epilogue since otherwise we'd have to wait until the very end to bring it up. The epilogue cinches this, uh, which in its entirety is uh, says it's just one block of text that says quote. It was in the reign of George III that the aforesaid personages lived and quarreled. Good or bad, handsome or ugly, rich or poor, they are all equal now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that really, uh, it wraps up like the futility of everything <laughs> that these people do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it, even, if, even if you don't want to necessarily call human pursuits futile, it, it at least puts them in perspective. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Um, but so now, now we introduce the first complication. Yeah. So, you know, but Nora, like, you know, like I said, Nora's, Nora's looking for someone and there's a nice British army fella who's come around and Captain Quinn, Captain Quinn, the he's, first of many captains. He's, yeah. he's dancing and you know, he, he asked her to dance many times at the party and like the insolent young man that Redmond Berry is, he is just totally disgusted by this whole thing because he wants Nora. But here's the kicker. Captain Quinn, he's worth 1,500 pounds a year. Yep. You know mm-hmm. how much Redmond Berry's worth? Not that much. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and that's what's important here. And yeah. that gets, and, and it's, 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 it's funny because, you know, like every time you meet like a, a major character, like you're always like, yes, and he's worth, you know, insert the amount of money they make per year. That yeah. is, that's very important because, you know, Redmond Barry wants to be of this stature, but he's not because he is not getting that many quid a year. Yeah, the the, the film the film toys with the concept of money in an interesting way. In the beginning, it's a very hard scrabble, almost tangible amount. It's mm-hmm. fifteen hundred guineas a year, and then it becomes and that's a respectable amount. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. and then it becomes certain forms of royalties. Uh, pieces of gold or door, mm-hmm. whether it's Frederick door or Louis door, mm-hmm. when you're dealing with like the, the uh, when scrabbling you're, when you're version like of the aristocracy. Austria Hungary area. And, and then the version of 1500 a year that enters into part two is the fine family fortune. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is the alliterative, <laughs> is the alliterative intangible amount of money yeah. that the Lindens are worth. Yeah. So it just, it, it it's ratcheting up the same bullshit three times yeah. over the course of the film. Well, but initially, right, like uh, like uh, Redmond Barry is not is is um, it, that, you know, the he, that is anathema and we, to did his we motivations. And, and he he's Irish too, which is already another reason that he's never going to be that. You know, like that just to kick him down a little bit farther. You know, but I think that right. So like, but Redmond Barry is is uh, to usher into this world that we're describing. Yeah. Right? Like initially, he is you know just a normal. Irish teenager who's in love with his cousin. I mean, the typical Irish story, right? Yeah. And like, he's yeah. humble stock. Yeah, yeah. humble stock. You know, <laughs> you know, thatched wood house. You know, like he's got the he's got the perfect Irish upbringing. And what is um, funny about this is that you know the fact that she is a failed, um, you know, uh, um, uh, she's failed to secure her husband five yeah. times in a row. Yeah, she's clearly not up to game in the seduction game uh, in the seduction business. She's and yet been she's been handing out a lot of ribbons and she's yeah. not getting anything but back for him. But she like puts the moves on Barry, you know, and and in his idealism, right? Like he he falls for it, and when 
Quinn comes in as just a normal suitor in yeah. this normal process of two families coming to an arrangement about a marriage. Um, you know, he stands on principle, which is that, you know, I love this woman and I'm not going to let her go without challenging the person um, who wants to to take uh, her from me for motivations that aren't up to mine, right? Like, I like I don't think Redmond thinks that Quinn loves her. In fact, Redmond clearly is frustrated that his family can only speak of the 1500 a year that he is that he brings to this offer. And so in order for Redmond Barry... And, he is, and he's so solid about it. Yeah. And like, he just, he wears it on his face, like, the whole time. Like, everyone's at dinner, and it's like, Redmond, why are you so well, sad? He, he's he just is like, emotional, man. Like, so he feels, emotional. Yeah, because he is, you know, just raging with hormones. <laughs> yeah. and, um, it's puppy love. Yeah, exactly. And so he... Um, when he comes to dinner after they've been uh, seemingly were led to believe right as, that as they're the going to be engaged. courtship has yes. been moving forward. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes is um, uh, Quinn messages uh, uh, references the father, and the father says, "Well, I'm happy to announce Mr. and Mrs. Uh, uh, Quinn." and Everybody claps and and they like you know Redmond. Why haven't you done anything? And it's such a it's such a wonderful and he's, awkward everyone's scene. Everyone's standing up and he's just pouting yeah, at the he table. Pouts. So then everyone sits down. He stands up and he gives some bullshit toast. And then he just like just like just lays the glass on his forehead. And <laughs> yeah, he doesn't even throw it. He just lays it on his forehead. It just shatters. And there's a whole scene, and then he challenges him, right? He's like, if anyone yes. wants, you know, if you want this woman, call on me, uh, Redmond Barry of Berryville, you know, come and get some. And initially, there's always, you know, there's some hesitation. He's just a boy. He can't mean this. But, Red, you know, Redmond fucking insists, right? Yes. Like, he, like, like He demands satisfaction, which is an important point of how you... Uh, solve civil disputes during this time as like his father, father like son. Yeah, exactly. as his father did uh, as will Redmond Barry. Yeah, because even though he is of humble stock, he is not above these aristocratic idiocies. No. Right. Well, this is how you solved problems back then. And Apparently. there was there was, you know, a and well, as we get into this uh first uh duel with Redmond, you know, we get to go through the whole ordeal like, you know, because you have like people orchestrating it there's like certain rules there's certain steps yeah. people have to be and there's Kubrick like timing all of that yes. and we have to go through like every mundane step to make sure that this duel goes off without any hitches so that it can be considered legit mm -hmm. and the deal can be settled mm -hmm. yeah it's it's presented with an almost documentarian oh eye. yeah yep they load <laughs> they load the there's powder the and the caps and there's the pistol and inspection the, yeah there's the setting of where each person is going to stand. There's a, there's the statement of the rules, yes. the confirmation of the rules, <laughs> the reconfirmation yeah. of the rules. Like, and but the what I think we draw out of this is the fucking absurdity of the oh, idea. Of like, course, but that's what, like but that's standing what, ten, that, ten paces that's apart. That's why Kubrick like goes through the like mundane <laughs> process of setting this whole thing up so that we could just watch like how absurd it is to solve your problems through duel. It's <laughs> yeah. just ridiculous. So I will say though, that I do. I love my. I love. I love the young Redman because uh, when they when they go to hand him his his pistol. You know, they're like, um, Captain, um, his uh, cousin or uncle or something like that, the Cap uh, Captain his Grogan. his second. Yeah, his second, who's um, who's a family member and yeah. cares for him. Yeah. Fucking likes, the kid's got pluck, you know? He's got fucking dash and, like, he's got balls. Because what is apparent from this is that Quinn is nervous about this whole deal thing. And Barry is clearly uncertain, right? But but mustering the courage and, yeah. and brave face. And so his second, Grogan, comes and says, look, you know, I've got uh, 10, 20 guineas. 
Um, you know, why don't you just uh, take these, forget Nora, head down to Dublin and fucking drown, yeah. your, drown yourself in some fun at my expense. Yeah, this is, you know, this is first love. You'll get over yeah. it. You'll move on. All you have to do is apologize. Quinn will forgive you. Isn't that right, Quinn? And uh, yeah, I can't uh, even uh, say uh, anything because yeah. he's so nervous. <laughs> and Robin Barry I goes... Lo- I love Captain Quinn so <laughs> yeah. much. Like, he's such a... Because all, all he has is station. Yes. He yes. has no bluster. Yes. He has, like, his... his Speaking mannerisms is no, yeah. is is it's so perfect. Yeah, uh, like I I cannot envision a better casting choice. Good heavens, Captain Quinney is but a boy and don't signify any more than my parrot or lapdog. Oh, indeed. Are you then in the habit of giving intimate articles of your clothing to your parrot or lapdog? Yes. Then Quinn. Yeah, you know he's in management because he can't do anything else. Yeah, he can. He 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 graduated from lieutenant, from lieutenant to captain, and he is going no farther up the chain. Yeah. Well, and more importantly, like he looks the part, right? Like, yeah. like you know, like I mean, his dancing, by the way, dude's a baller on the floor. All right, like he just like rolls through the high steps, the sh- the shillelaghs. He's Any, got it all. Anything man. you can do with your feet, he can do. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, okay, so the duel happens, and uh, Barry seemingly uh, kills Quinn in the duel yes and um it turns out seemingly yeah well it turns out that despite the fact that they're you know f- formulaic to a fare thee well apparently uh dueling is also illegal so barry's well, on the he also he also did still kill like an officer in the british army so that in itself is illegal even if all of the you know uh, as he, fair he, and formal as it could be as it's still illegal is, yeah. it's still illegal for Dude, him to shit. kill a British officer, so he has to go on the run. Yep. Yeah, it's it's still mob rule. Yeah, <laughs> even if there are a lot of mob rules. So um, Barry heads back with one of the you know cousins, one of his family members, sees his mother again, uh, explains that the boy's got to run. Here's yeah. some money. Here's some cash. Get, here's a horse. Yep. GTFO. Yep. Go move on with your life. And, and so he makes for the beginning of a very long, yes. arduous adventure that does not bring him back to his hometown for a long, long time. Yes. Yep. Uh, it gets off to a rough start because literally the first people he stops by yeah, he and gets-, gets a drink of water from uh, are highwaymen and <laughs> stand him up in the most ridiculous way. Mm-hmm. The Captain Feeney pulls yes. him over. And I, d- I do love, like, maybe... Maybe that is something you're supposed to know. Like maybe that's something that uh, make peace mm-hmm. would uh, could have insinuated his audience was aware of. Maybe Feeney did something amazing, but we don't know. No, and uh, Kubrick not winks at that mm-hmm. very hard in that scene because when he gets pulled over the by Captain the Feeney. Captain yeah. Feeney <laughs> with no reference to what he did or who he even works for. Um, but this is and what is this guy captain of? He was sitting at a cottage, and then he's like holding up Redmond Berry. Like I mean, <laughs> like what? Uh, and, who knows? And it turns the situation turns on a dime because Captain Feeney is turned away, and Redmond simply approaches, and mm-hmm. Feeney turns around, dual wielding yeah. on him, <laughs> dual wielding muskets, yeah. and that is the end of the tension in this scene. Mm-hmm. Because from there, we just enter another instance of the bullshit mob rules. Yeah. Yeah. Feeney tells him to get off his horse. There's dialoguing. In- yeah. He introduces him to his son yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> by name. Yes. Yeah. Um, he turns back around. <laughs> they negotiate several times, uh, mostly to the success of Captain Feeney. Yes. Um, about whether he can keep the money or the horse or his shoes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right, the first like, but, two, but, but, no. The but, last one, yeah. yes, but just because I like you. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like he's And he also like, gives him like a long explanation. He's like, but can I keep my horse? And he's Captain Feeney's like, 
Well, no, because we need you to get away slower than we do. Yeah. As much as much as I'd love, love to you. oblige yeah. you. <laughs> like this. You're, it's like, you're, yeah. Unfortunately, you're, we have, you might understand, we hear all kinds of stories like this. Yours is the most interesting one I've encountered in many a while. Yeah. But unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. we so, have a way to do things. We regret to inform yeah. you that this is, in fact, a robbery. Yes. <laughs> in purpose and in station. So Commence. now, so so now, Redmond Barry is without money and without horse. Well, but but before we leave this okay. scene, this is once again like every other scene. It, it, this could have taken place like even even if it was in a small town. Like yeah. they, he could have just been passing, and Feeney could have mugged him. He could have like hit mm-hmm. him on the head. Yeah, taken. Kubrick wanted to set this <laughs> in the most just placid environment yep. it's just these autumn trees yep. yes. this giant overhang yep. with this fence and it's 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 where you would set any love scene in mm-hmm. any other film yeah is where the mugging takes or you would, or you would be hiking down this trail yeah. Yeah. if it was modern day if you, you were know? lucky you would find this part of this yeah. trail um and that's what he used it for yeah <laughs> um, an embarrassment of riches uh but now that um now that he has not but the boots on his feet, uh, Redmond Barry uh, finds his way to uh, not Dublin, but some other smaller town on the way to Dublin. That just happens to have some Brits recruiting for the Seven Years' War yep. yeah. because they need foot soldiers. And the narrator makes a fabulous little comment here about the, that the Seven Years' War is it's five years in and you would need like only the most noted historical a philosopher to really explain what this war is about. <laughs> yeah. But nonetheless, yeah. Yeah, you know, like, Redmond Berry like, enlists like, because they're not going to look into his background. Yeah. We're going to need, we're going to need the historians to sort out why exactly we're here at yeah. some point in yeah. the future. But yeah. for now, just know that these, co- these countries are at war. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so good old Redmond Berry joins the Redcoats. Yeah. Um, for the bounty of a buck and a half. Yep. Uh, gets himself uh, immediately called out for being the um, the high-styling lowborn that he is, yep. uh, complaining about the food. And then, in the, again, in the way that everything in this movie occurs... There is decorum uh, he, everywhere. He throws shade, but he throws shade by consulting with the man sitting next to him. Yes. Three times. Oh, it's, mm-hmm. oh, it's it's a great exchange because the guy makes fun of him, and then the person sitting next to Redmond Barry is like, "Well, comment on the guy's wife." He's like, "Oh, I heard something about your wife." He's like, "Say his wife isn't any good at whatever, whatever." Oh, I heard your wife is, yeah. you know. And then by Tell the, him he's, you know, he's afraid of his wife. Yeah, I hear it. Was it your wife you were ducking around when she came by the camp yesterday? Afraid she'd box your ears and these these insults you know are just like so typical uh, but then like the guy's like well and you know that you said some shit and now i gotta stop yeah and now out. we need now we need we need satisfaction, demand satisfaction. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't do it in duel we do it through a boxing match and i must say i was very impressed with the choreography on this boxing match um it was it was very good. Like, I like every fight in this movie. Every fight was very good in this. The choreography was excellent. Um, I, I mean, the, the the moral of the boxing match is that Redmond Barry's a fucking fighter. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, but it's it's impressive how tense they make that because yeah. the guy he's fighting is big. It's he's mm-hmm. bigger than him, and he's throwing punch like he's throwing actual punches mm-hmm. in the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, the camera does a little bit of shaky cam to emphasize things, but but no, the, the oh the, yeah, the tension of it is. 
is and it's a very well choreographed boxing yeah, it's, it's scene. impressively well shot um and it's got you know the rabble around and the, ra- the the rabble of this fight is also good because we already know that this is a lower a lower form of satisfaction um but the uh the rabble around that's watching this yes. one which is another and thing the duels don't normally have as an audience but this the ring is set up by the onlookers not yeah. merely a ring but a square yes they form a square and they're all shouting but they're all in British uniforms in a well-kept square. Yes. The rules are Gotta in play. Gotta be in formation. Yeah. Mm. There, there are no rabbles. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there's no just like scattershot humanity in this film. Mm-hmm. It is all regimented. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he wins that boxing match of to... Fairly uh, decisively. Fairly decisively, but also to no end. Like, yeah. it's mm-hmm. completely irrelevant yeah. that he wins this fight. Um, and eventually, uh, time passes. He becomes, you know, a not, pre- he becomes like a corporal or something. Yeah, he's doing like, okay. He's not thrilled with life in the military, but he's, you know, doing okay for himself. Yeah. And he, um, Captain Grogan. Yes. Uh, he his, runs into his, his second. pal, his second, um, shows up to town. Him. Yep. Um, and they, uh, <laughs> he is, he is somewhat brusquely and unintentionally informed that, uh, Quinn's not dead. And, uh, yes, the, he finds out that the duel was actually set up. So the shot uh, that Redmond Barry took on Quinn was not a real bullet. It was toe, which I'm assuming is some sort of like buckshot or something like that. I, I, I think it's like wax. Okay. Yeah, I want to okay. say okay. wax, yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, rest so yeah. assured, you hit him. Yeah, yeah you hit him. thick, fine plug of toe. Yeah. Yes. It was a fine shot, me boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's um, but then like Quinn, you know, because he's ballless and has no, you know, he... Like it's it's implied that Quinn was in on the gambit. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Even being shot by the like like he like fainted, you know, by being yeah. shot by this. He was um, out for an hour. Yeah, and but like the funny thing is, is that Grogan does not lose the humor of this situation. Yeah. you know, like he's got the smile on his face the whole time, both for the humor within the situation, but also I think to to show that you know he that that for Grogan right like he likes this kid right like this kid's like well, really also, fucking and, he, and he's uh, like, like endeared, and for, for Grogan it's like no harm no foul it's like you needed to go off and see the world yeah. we just kind of like set this up so that you could get over this girl yeah. Gr- Grogan is one of like two pragmatic characters yeah. in this entire well that movie. and uh, the Barry Barry guy yeah like there's <laughs> there there are very very few people who feel like they actually they don't merely ride within the system, but understand it yeah. and sort of ride over it. And Grogan is yeah. one of those characters. You know, he tells, and he tells Redmond Barry, he's like, you know, if you need any money, I got some money, just, you know, whatever you need. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the next day they go into battle and this should be Ryan. Tell us about how battles are fought so during it, this time period. So in the, in the, you talk about regimented, right? The idea <laughs> of, you know, uh, formed lines of soldiers uh, drilled and disciplined into uh, into these uh, maneuvering machines. Uh, soldiers move by beats carried on by drums on the battlefield itself. Orders are shouted and moves are explicitly meant to be followed in all things. And because you are firing un, uh, unrifled, um, unaerodynamic projectiles from black powder uh, muskets that are you know either flintlock or matchlock at this time, you have to get close in yeah. order for them to yeah. be effective. And there is very much the, 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 the regimented way that this happens, the stylized and formulaic rules of procedure and, and courage and manhood that are projected here. The scene, I think, is 
It's has this very slow buildup in the way that we slowly learn the rules of this warfare as if it were a duel on a mass scale. Yeah, so basically we have a line of French that are holding their ground, yep. and they're all straight formation with their bayonets out, and mm -hmm. then the British are the ones moving forward Yes, and I think before, And why are the French defending this, and why are the British attacking it? Well, because the British want to use a road yes. that's like yeah. behind they, Yeah, the they French want to, This is the skirmish force yeah. so that the main force doesn't have to be troubled to fight. Yeah, this, this, this yeah. the Battle of Minden does not make the history books. No, <laughs> explicitly so. Yeah, and so um, and so we're led into this right, and like you know, it's 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 awkward because you know once again it unfolds very slowly. Yeah, Kubrick, so we start. Kubrick develops this. Yeah, we start with the with the redcoats moving forward to the French's line, and there's no shooting yet. There's no shooting yet because you have to get close enough. Yes. Before your bullets are effective, mm -hmm. and there's there's something there's something that happens here, which is it, the only thing this can remind me of is Catch Twenty Two. Yeah, and I would need to watch Full Metal Jacket again to see whether or not there's any it's been scene. Been a long time since I've seen I, that I, one. to see if it compares in any way because the meaninglessness of the way this war is fought is like like top three war scene in a film for mm -hmm. me because mm -hmm. it's not it's not that they are about to challenge the french they are already in combat mm -hmm. and the only way that we find out that that's true because it's been nothing but wide shots on the french we don't know necessarily what they're doing right. it could we're almost led to believe that this is going to be like a duel in the sense that they're going to come together and the officers are going to exchange yeah. words <laughs> and then they're going to fight it could have been like but that no. yeah. yeah at some point yeah. all of a sudden the French just fire, mm -hmm. and the British keep walking. Yep. Yeah, and so there's like, there's like, so as the columns are marching forward, <laughs> British are just falling, and then the person, if the person in front of them falls, the person behind moves up so that the formation has remained, and they just, just keep step over marching, yep. and, and they just keep, keep, and they just, they fucking just keep, keep walking, walking forward, yep. and it's, it's like unbelievable. It, and again, and it's all prefaced on the fact we don't even have to learn after the fact they know how useless this yeah. is yeah. going. <laughs> into it and they just march directly into yeah. it. Mm -hmm. um, um, that scene and it's again it's it's farcical it's farcical mm -hmm. and this is it's the reason why I works in catch 22 it's it is farcical in a fatal way and oh, that's yeah. like that's almost more brutal than any severe way this could be captured yep. like there's something because it, there's no heroism to this at all mm -hmm. absolutely not and um, like i said it's over a dispute because they want to use a road that the yeah. french are in front of yeah, yeah. the, the yeah. main british military is gonna be there in a day yeah. anyway <laughs> <laughs> like they'll be able to chase them off they just don't want to be bothered so mm -hmm. they're doing this now but what happens during this battle is uh, our good old Captain Grogan gets gets shot. He does. And uh, Redmond Barry is really upset by this, so he drags him off into the forest away from the battleground. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, he decides that maybe the military is not for him. No. Yeah. In his continuing roller coaster of emotions, <laughs> Redmond Barry, like, like literally, from every scene, Barry has the absolute just stratospheric high mm -hmm. and the hellscape valley low in yeah. every scene Absolutely. in this film just over and over it's a like, roller coaster of emotions <laughs> rolled redmond berry it is like captain rogan literally five minutes before this happens assures barry that he will be financially stable as long as a captain in the british military is alive and then yeah. this captain in the british military <laughs> is dead 
five minutes, minutes later. later. Oh, and then and he tells him right before he dies, he's like, I'm sorry, I would have given you some money, but I lost it all in poker the night before. <laughs> yeah, all that money. Like, I that's like his, la- his parting words to him. Yep. <laughs> and then they kiss and they're off. Yep, and they're done. And where do we lead, right? Well, obviously, like, Barry's feeling some discontentment after his experiences <laughs> in the British Army. And so he's... Clearly questioning his life choices, but you know, there's no real way out. You know, yeah. like you just can't like sign some. No, paper. because he well he because he's committed to six years. Yeah. <laughs> he accepted the king's bounty. Yeah. So, um, but Redmond Barry recognizes an opportunity when he sees yes. it, and on one of these uh, little excursions, even when he doesn't see one, yeah. he'll take it. Yeah. So he's um, he's off to uh, seeming to get some water. Um, he walks by uh, some horses. And he sees these British officers, um, which it's... Having a moment in a secluded pool. Yeah, it's clearly two men who are lovers and the captains. And it's it's interesting. It's a cute scene as they're, you know, I have to leave you again. I'm on this mission. Oh, don't leave. I love you so much. And it is just this weird little moment. And then Barry, you know, thinking and the narrator chimes in again. And it's like, you know, like Barry's got a a GTFO, man. He's He's like, no, I got an idea. I can just steal one of these guys' clothes and pose as a captain that's off running errands and or so something. We His then career. move into this next yeah. chapter, right? So Barry, uh, Where he's Barry? on the land. He's going to try to get to the Netherlands, which is like the only country on the European continent that's not involved in said seven years war. He's going to try to get to there and then he can sail back to Ireland yep. and, you know, start from scratch. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. It'll and, all be fine. And he, like, <laughs> the, like once the music, you know, Kubrick. Oh God, it's, Kubrick's. It's just got this triumphalist. Kubrick's like, Kubrick's ear for classical music is just, it's just <laughs> unfucking believable I mean, this one, he doesn't pick one particular composer for this. He goes through the gamut of mm-hmm. this era, you know, Schubert, um, Mozart. Hayden. Hayden, you know, he uses a lot of them, but man, everyone is so impeccably placed. Well, and it it is specifically serious. Yeah. Yeah. It's never played for a laugh. Like it is, it is the way it it is all orchestrated. It makes the scene so rich. Yeah. Well, and because it's, it's, it's orchestrated to have the sort of triumphal formalism that the music, when that music was written, it was all written for chambers that were prim in a way that we'll get to eventually in part two. Yeah. Um, it, it, and the music. No, it is music of the time, and it is he's he selects the he his music choices like always enrich the scenes mm-hmm. so and, much more. And it makes sure to remind it, it makes sure to remind you in the midst of all the stupidity that goes on in every fucking scene that the people in this scene are taking this very seriously. Yeah, <laughs> that this is in fact their life. Yeah. Um, so and again, it just it continues the swirl. Uh, he makes a rendezvous with a German maid. Oh yes, yes. Um, uh, in his capacity as Lieutenant Fakenham. Yeah. Yes, and uh, you know, and the and the narrator just takes a little time to be subjective and snarky, and you know, basically is like, oh yeah, well, like this is not the first officer that has found the way to Mrs. Whatever Whatever's bed. You know, like just kind of like brushing Barry off as like he's just another. Well, look, you know, some like, some some cultures of hospitality have these <laughs> traditions within them, and us and our you know prudish ways shouldn't look askance on more uh, cultures that require a little bit more generosity from their feminine set. But you know, he's still he's still a little bit like emotional and dramatic at this age. So like the courtship is still, it's not as awkward as our opening courtship, but there's still like 
a certain level of like awkwardness. It's well, like, uh, oh, uh, is there his... is there somewhere I can get to eat? And she's like, no. Well, well no. could you make me something to eat? His um, his oh, sure. His a little bit of his um naivete and youthfulness. I think it's is, still, is still it's yeah. still coming through here. He's going to be losing that quickly, but it's it's still like this is kind of like the last scene where. Where he he still has like a little bit of that like boyish naivete. Yep. I, I mean, as his Puritan successors would say it, he falls for every whore he yeah. lays yeah. his eyes yeah. on. Yeah, uh, this is now number two. Yeah. in his uh, his pursuit of amorous affection with literally every woman he runs across that's not his mom. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's a mom, mom is, and too. he's a fucking mama's boy at yeah. that. Oh so. yeah, absolutely. But regardless, you got to keep moving, right? Got to yeah. keep place. moving. So he's on the road, still in Germany. Um, Runs into his third captain. Yes, yes, uh, Mr. Potsdorf. Yes, yes, <laughs> of and, the mustache. Uh, this guy, this guy, uh, he's wise, man. Yeah, he's, he's, wise he's smarter than Barry Redman is really prepared for. Mm-hmm. It works for a little while. Yep. Yeah, or Redmond Barry. I'm takes sorry. takes him uh, takes him under his wing. Mm-hmm. Identity papers are in order. There's no reason to suspect this, but Potsdorf, you know, he, his uncle's with the police bureau, so presumably he's a wary man to begin yeah. with. Uh, takes him along, boozes him up, figures out what's really going on, and uh, and f- figures out that he is a deserter. So his options are: they're either going to turn him over, or he gets to enlist with the Prussian army. Which. <laughs> <laughs> For the love of God, if had he had he known what the Prussian army was like, <laughs> he would have gone back to yeah, Britain. Yeah, because like, the Prussian army is way worse than being enlisted in the British army. The grass is always greener, if you will. Oh my God! <laughs> so, but like once again, like in in the the land of contrasts here, right? Like we're exposed to the world of the Russian army by not Prussian, a, a Prussian army by not. Barry going through the, the the ordeals, but one of the things is like this gauntlet punishment where yeah they still do that sho- in jujitsu yeah a shoulder <laughs> uh, a, a soldier who's being punished in the Prussian army is stripped uh, from the waist up and then is led through a file of, uh, of yeah everyone lines who, up parallel and, and takes turns like beating on him as he walks down and Barry is the one pers- uh, pr- uh, leading the procession of this of this prisoner being uh, of the soldier being punished. By holding his rifle with the bayonet attached backwards, so that he can't rush through it. Yeah. Slow- oh my god! Like unbelievable. And that's like just like like you know like a moderate punishment. And this is and this is really where where Barry kind of like loses all his naivete because the narrator makes like a nice comment that like you know the Prussian army because you know the conditions are so shitty they're basically just like you know shanghaiing and like sucking up people through any way they can like finding mm-hmm. deserters and forcing them to enlist yeah. type of thing and uh this is where Barry basically learns how to be you know an opportunistic the ruffian uh, it is it is weird ruffian, in a, yeah. it, in a in a movie that is three and a half hours long <laughs> it is it is interesting to be able to employ a a, a sentence like the, they do kind of gloss over what that means right yeah um, the narrator mostly makes up the slack cuz he's not actually shown doing anything terribly delinquent during mm-hmm. that time no but it's it's implied that that he is like learning the skills of delinquent trades during this time by being surrounded by such lower sure uh, he's learning how to actually cheat which he was not capable of uh prior to being enlisted in the prussian army yeah he's um so he's involved in several uh in a in a a battle um the uh, battle of outdoor outdoor another incredibly unnoteworthy fight (laughs) over a house um yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) jesus christ 
And um, <laughs> while we're in this building, right, um, uh, Cap- uh, what's his name? Um, Captain Potsdorf. Potsdorf comes by to observe the ongoing uh, uh, goings on. Uh, the building that they're, that he and Barry are in is uh, shelled by a cannon, uh, creating this massive explosion. And uh, the roof, uh, cla- uh, part of the roof collapses in on Captain Potsdorf. Yeah, he has uh, like a, basically a, 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 like a roof beam yep. falls on him. And as it, most of the survivors are fleeing the building, uh, Reverend Barry hears the cries, comes back, and rescues said Captain Potsdorf. Uh, leading him out of the building and seemingly to safety. Um, so we are then led into uh, Barry's re- reward for this uh, heroic gallantry <laughs> in the face of uh, Everyone of danger. is lined up in this little fort. His yep. commendation yes. uh, under the tutelage of Colonel Bulau. Yeah. Um, and uh, this scene could just be a stupid little perfunctory nonsense thing. And it is that. Yes. Yes. It's absolutely yes. that. He literally, he, uh, Bulau reaches over into a small cash box yes. with yeah, little pieces of gold. Two door. Takes literally two, two. two yeah. bits, <laughs> puts them in his hand. And thanks him for a sir. Corporal Barry, you're a gallant soldier and have evidently come of good stock. But the idle, dissolute, and unprincipled. You've done a great deal of harm to the men. And for all your talents and bravery, I'm sure you will come to no good. The the the, the formality of the situation, right? The the, the back and forth exchange. Yeah, because we have really- to. In case we haven't been like portraying this well enough, like all of these scenes, there are hundreds of people in every one of these. There's scenes. a lot of extras in this there movie. Is, like there is people everywhere. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they're they're in formation. Um, when we get to part two, and it's more of the aristocrats, uh, you know, it's just a lot of people laying around not doing anything. But there's there is ample amounts of people in all of these scenes. Always, no, it's <laughs> it is busy yeah. on these sets. Um, so from there, some more time passes. It's presumed that he does okay enough to not be kicked out of the Prussian army, which well, is... Well, and Potsdorf has taken a, a liking to him, so he gets him a job in the private sector. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I like I, I like the idea that despite the fact that Potsdorf was the first person to find out that he's a liar, yeah. he then employs him as an informer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He pulls some strings. Yeah, he pulls some strings with his uncle at the police bureau uh, to spy on his countryman, mm-hmm. brother, yes. comrade, the Chevalier de Balibari. Um, a man this this of, guy is great. A man of great poise. Yes. And a lot of makeup. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he's introduced to us by the narrator before they, they show him, which is important because comedic timing is everything. Yeah. Because you can't, you, you, there's no way to like mentally prepare for the getup that this guy is adorned in. Mm-hmm. Well, the narrator prefaces Barry's impression yes. of the Chevalier as being overcome by his majesty. Yes, yes absolutely, yeah. Well, and, and, and two, right, the scene takes place in this very large, ornate room in which the Chevalier de Balibari is, is receiving his lunch or his breakfast in the morning, but to us, Right, the the extended wall in the background is where Barry enters in from and walks into the scene. The Chevalier is has his back to us, right? Yeah, wigged and everything, but all we see is his back as Barry approaches him and is describing this emotional encounter with him uh, in the scene as well. So, like you said, the timing of it is really awesome because. Mm-hmm. We are we we already understand how this will play out without ever having to see it, and then see this amazing emotional uh, uh, turnaround to where you know Redmond Barry completely betrays 
these the, these like everything the he told Pot. Yeah, like for Potsdorf, he was supposed to pretend that he doesn't know, like that he only speaks Hungarian. Yeah, got to be a double agent. Yeah, and, and, and all this. And God. as soon as he sees this man, he just has like this emotional outburst. But this is. And who excuses who excuses this behavior? The narrator, yes. our yeah. omniscient narrator, <laughs> comes in and says, "Most people will not understand yeah. the bond between these." It's like, who the fuck are you? Like, who are you in this story exactly? <laughs> like, so there's so now like now that we're moving out of the military section and we're getting to more of like the aristocratic section of the movie. There's the the staging of these scenes is great because these rooms are all enormous and yet the furniture is so small. Yeah, I was I was about and to say. And it gives like a weird, vast sense of space. It's, it's very important. Yeah. It's all very important. It, I, it starts in the police bureau. The police yeah. bureau is uh, very akin to um, what Lawrence of Arabia, when they're when they're hanging out in all of, you know, Cairo's giant palaces. Palace where they set this up is, military operations. Yeah, this is yeah. the same shit. You have these 20-foot high stone buttressed mm-hmm. police bureaus Yeah, in with this like place. a little tiny desk in the middle of it. And yeah. it takes about 40 steps to like get from the door to like the chair you have to sit in and then there's another 50 steps to the window that's 50 <laughs> feet tall behind you well and that's when the when the narrator <laughs> is introducing um the glamour of chevalier um <laughs> they have ryan like you said is you're re- reviewing the wig mm-hmm. and we're seeing the columns on the side and mm-hmm. the scene is foreshortened and mm-hmm. it, it's foreshortened in the way that is supposed to diminutize things but this this hallway is so long <laughs> that it almost makes it seem larger because Barry is just walking and walking. Yeah. He's not getting any closer <laughs> during this scene. He's just going and going. It's it's really good. Oh. Um, but anyways, yeah. So the the Barry and the Chevalier become uh, best buds, pals, basically. and they they become pals in a, a low profession that yeah. the, the Irish are all very very keen on. Apparently, this yeah. movie. This movie, and I would bet that Thackeray's read on this. I, I I was very tempted to delay this just to thumb through the book. Just I to actually see. considered it too, but I heard it was quite long, so it might I, be a bit of a. I, I can slog. believe that, but yeah. I'm also I'm also willing to believe just because it might be the, the concept in a of obsolete vernacular that's not appealing as well. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that too. But I was all you know. It's also pre '80s, so I'll bet. I'll bet the Irish racism is actually very alive in that oh, book. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll bet it's very real. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I mean, you have to also consider this movie was supposed to be a movie about Napoleon. And then when that got axed, he's like, oh, yeah, we'll do a satire about a, you know, Irish man who is trying to. A social climber. Yeah, yeah who's a social climber. I'm like, glad he that'll did. That'll be yeah. fun. I'm glad he did. Although, to be fair, I mean, what is what is the preeminent Napoleon movie? I don't it's not. It's real famous in cinema history of the of like multiple of the failures of much like French military defeats (laughs) like Napoleon movies are always failures and that's why there hasn't been a good one should never try to recreate your past successes (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah so uh uh, Chevalier likes cards and Barry likes lying. So they get together and uh, they form they, a little racket. Yeah, they start a racket where, you know, like Barry pretends to be the valet, but then does like little signs to give away the opponent's cards mm. and then basically cheat yeah. all of these rich people out of notes yeah. mm-hmm. or that, Dior or whatever. 
fucking currency they're using. Yeah, Frederick Doors. Yeah. yeah, and and of course for the sake and of comparison, and yeah, they have the first guy they encounter, who's our first, is our first entree debut of um, the Prussian aristocracy. Yes, mm-hmm. who are going to feature heavily for the remainder of the film. Um, this guy loses to the Chevalier a sum of. <laughs> 15,000 door. <laughs> yeah. Frederick door. Actually, no, it may, it's either 15 or 55, but it's an order. It's, it's a lot of money. orders of magnitude more than any amount of money we've that even has seen been, in the game. That has yeah. been referenced yet. In this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, eh, put it on credit. Uh, first he accuses him of cheating. And then, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a but tussle there. But then they can't there. prove it. So then he's yeah. like, I'll oh, just put it on my credit. I'm good for it. Whenever you get around to it, yeah, and that that starts uh, that's that's the blossoming of a fine friendship. Yes, um, th- they escape because um, once again someone tries to demand satisfaction, and the police hear about it, and the police are like, uh, "No, we can't have the guy we're guarding at the, the yeah. embassy murdering." Uh, royalty that's yes. that's bad over, so, over a poker game over, over gambling debts yeah, yeah over so, gambling debts so the police are like we're, we're not gonna let that happen yeah. so, <laughs> so so they end up having to make a break so they make a break and <laughs> the only comment i'll make on this is of course of course they use this as an excuse to put uh what, what's the guy's name uh who's barry's character ryan uh ryan o'neill Ryan O'Neill. I, yeah. I had his name backwards. Yeah, Ryan O'Neill in the same white face. Yes. As the Chevalier. Yeah, yeah, they dress him up like the Chevalier to like uh, you know, to to sneak him over the border. Oh and, my God. and how does he pretend to be the Chevalier? He puts on the white face and acts exactly like him. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, <laughs> exactly like Redmond Berry. He doesn't like pretend at all. Oh my God. <laughs> it's really good. Um, but then he makes it across. He, he yeah, makes it across like the border f- with two thousand bucks in tow. Yeah, they're like in France, and they're gonna start running a little gambling thing. But then Barry, uh, you know, this is the point where he realizes he likes the high life. He has nice clothes. He's running around with the Chevalier. He wants to be a gentleman. Um, but you know, as an Irish person, the only way to really secure that is by marrying a rich woman. Mm-hmm. They do, and and the narrator implies that maybe Barry was settling down enough but it turns out no the only reason why he was being even mildly rational we're seeing the scene where he's pretending to be right now it's so good but but no it turns out that barry um barry is a a rational man about marriage only because he hadn't seen a woman yeah in two years but the second he sees one he immediately once again just it falls completely head over heels in love Mm -hmm. and tries to usurp um Lord Linden, yep. um, a man of property yes. and a fine family fortune, um, and also many degenerate diseases, um, which were common to the aristocracy of that period. Um, these, again, this is why I wanted to read the book. I want to know. I want to know how Thackeray, like. Well, see, touches I, that no, subject. I heard that in the book. See, he meets her for the first time, but the thing is, like, it takes a year for the husband to die and then he ends up winning her in a poker match. Oh, very good. Oh, weird. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, I did read some breakdowns of the novel just to see how they, they sure. lined up. Yeah. So, so what the differences are, uh, but Lyndon, Lyndon starts to surreptitiously court, uh, the lady, he doesn't, he, he the lady doesn't Lyndon. even try to be 
that surreptitious no. by the end. Like he no. and basically then, is just blatant about it. And then he's like, oh, well, I was consulting with her. Oh, with our, our newest favorite character, the Reverend Runt, oh, who yeah. is the tutor that Ooh. goes around with uh, the Lady Lyndon and her small child, Lord Bullingdon. Um, you know, they, yeah. they have this really creepy, you know, chaplain that accompanies them everywhere. Church and school. Well, that's the thing, right? Like these people are so rich that they have their own private religious instructor. Yeah. Accompany them to gamble. Yes. Like this, I like, that's a level of just. Barry wants in on that. Yeah, no, this is, this is <laughs> talk about some high rollers, some holy rollers. <laughs> I got to get in on that racket. I got, I mean, I'm telling you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He goes. He goes up to 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 the you know to Lyndon, and he's like, "Oh, I was consulting with your chaplain on a religious matter." And Lyndon's just like, "Are you seriously think I'm that fucking stupid? Yeah, like, really." Is it not a pleasure, gentlemen, for me as I am drawing near the goal to find my home such a happy one? My wife's so fond of me that she's even now thinking of appointing a successor. Isn't it a comfort to see her like a prudent housewife getting everything ready for her husband's departure? And then he immediately dies. And then he gives himself a heart attack. <laughs> He's laughing so hard yeah. at Redmond Berry. Um, <laughs> and um, we hit the intermission. Yes, yes. Ah, and, and that is stretch. how he becomes Barry Lyndon. Barry Lyndon. Part two is uh, coming up next, but I need to get uh, another drink. So we're going to pause it here real quick. Okay. Most most actors after working with Kubrick like literally never work again because it's such a traumatic experience. This guy, this guy basically threw his career away to like dedicate his life to working with Kubrick. He essentially became his like go-to guy. Because they have like Ryan O'Neill in it. Twenty hours a day, casting, taking notes. Script revision, Holy you name it. Yeah. This guy did everything. It's funny because then they talked to like other people that had worked with Kubrick, like Ryan O'Neill, and they're like, oh yeah, and then that Leon Vitale became Kubrick's right hand man. He's like, he did. He's like, the second I heard I could get off set after 16 months, I fucking left England and never came back. They're like, I could not. make his movies without the guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he basically threw his whole acting career away. Just yeah, because he was like a big up-and-coming actor. And then he just became like Kubrick's right-hand man after this. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. Part two containing an account of the misfortunes and disasters which befell Barry Lyndon. And we're back. So, we have a wedding. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. presided by our Reverend Runt. It's a severe affair. Oh, yes. Um, the Reverend spends most of it Telling us he's our first shot of the second part. Too. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. And he um he, he spends most of his sermon um reminding Barry Lyndon that he was supposed to marry Lady Lyndon because he loves her, and not because uh, he's a you know, social climber. Yeah. yeah. Not not because he's a ruddy Irishman who <laughs> gets his hand on every woman he comes across. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't work. So uh, the wedding goes through. Yeah. And um from there. 
things just begin to fall apart. Well, I mean, Barry thinks that he's made it because now he is part of a family of money and distinction and he has all the things he wanted. He's got a big house. He's got lots of servants and maids he can bang. Mm -hmm. He's got the nicest velvet jackets. And, and though he is not as self-preserving as Scarface, he has the exact same problem Scarface has that it doesn't matter how much he gets he has no conception of appreciating things. Yeah. So he, he just immediately expends with everything and he this achieves. And is, this is also, and the narrator brings this up so aptly uh, shortly too, is the problem is, is the skills that got buried to this part, to this place, are also the same uh, types of habits that are going to be his demise, which much like Whether Scarface. by money or women or yeah. anything. Um, his wife immediately is not entirely fond of this situation because no. Barry, like literally within, within movie space, the second he gets married, he just stops fucking caring about her Yeah, entirely. Yeah. Um, and and th that eventually, that comes back a little bit eventually once there's some tension, but, but he's just, he immediately starts philandering with maids. Uh, he's off like literally the first scene after the wedding, he blows smoke in his wife's face. After she Literally asks him the first to, scene. to lay off the pipe. Yeah. Yeah. And then, well, and then, and then, well, and then, she, you know, she has her son from the previous marriage, the Viscount Bullingdon, and he's still young at this point, but he sees, you know, as all the children seem to be so perceptive in this film, he sees right through Barry and is, you know, right from the get-go. He's like, you're just a Irish social climber and, uh, you know, I feel sorry for my mom for getting wrapped up with you. And, and yet uh, this, this second part is slower than the first part because not as much happens. There's not as much plot, but at this well, point, and it doesn't move. It takes place at the estate. It takes place time. at the estate. But even, even if you, if you bullet point it out, as I, as I have here, there just isn't that much stuff. Yeah. But the thing it has at this point is that the, the ideas the ideas that this is built to have gestated and play themselves out, mm -hmm. which means that this is absolutely pregnant with questions. Mm -hmm. um, every scene has at least two ways to look at it. The scene we're looking at right now, uh, Barry is almost defiantly kissing his wife, blowing smoke in her face. After she deliberately asked him not to. But what is she indignant about exactly? Because mm. she is basically, a, she, a, a, she was born into beauty without question, but yeah. she's also born into this high life that is totally undeserved. And to some degree, Barry, Barry has done a shitload more to deserve his station than she ever has, despite being a total dirtbag to achieve it. Yeah. Like the the cycle, the, the, well, because the laundry into, cycle is so well, strong. Now you get into... You get into this aristocracy life where these are all people basically with a lot of money and not a lot to fucking do. No. They do almost nothing. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They wander around giant palatial courts yeah. all day. Mm -hmm. uh, they play cards if, you know. If they're into that. If, if the Chevalier happens to be around <laughs> and is willing to facilitate. Um, yeah. They, they, there's no fucking purpose up no. here. There's this little purpose up no. there as there was down in the dregs where Barry started. Well, like I said, and then it's it's hard because I, I I because this the movie makes it set up like there was essentially maybe some love at the beginning. Although I think uh, when I had read like a synopsis of the book, um, that may not even have been the case. It's as fleeting as every yeah. It's as fleeting as every amorous relationship Barry ever had. That's why I said like the narrator so it like hints at the idea mm -hmm. that maybe Barry is gonna. D marry for practical reasons yeah. 
but then he sees a beautiful woman and suddenly loves her Just unconditionally. As, yeah. All right, so I, the, the 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 wrench in the in the the narrative here of it being cynical or opportunistic, uh, and I think I think what what's contained with Barry's lecherousness is the kind of you know it's it's the it's the the heart struck romantic grown up right like he what what led him to kind of fall in love with every woman mm-hmm. leading up to this also is the same sort of like emotional reason for why he can't pass by an available fuck and not take it now right like he still i think he still has that like wanderingness you know of 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 that youth uh, of his youth still kind of present within him the one thing i would say however that nails down the point to that because you have to establish some sort of um, some sort of genuine emotional attachment for loss to bring about the kind of you know tragedy that Lin- that that Lyndon's story ends up being. Well, and and it, and it does earn that eventually. Yes, yeah. it, it finally does start to do oh, that. Yeah. And so what what le- what what is it then? Right. Well, it is his son that he has with with Lady. Yeah. Lyndon. So he does have a son with Lady Lyndon and uh, Little boy, Brian. Like. That's that's like his fucking everything. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's it, the the dynamics of the family are obviously set up. You have this um you are kind of led into the kind of like the internal politics, right? Of like Lady Linden, her her son with the first Lord Linden, who, Lord who, Bullington. Yeah, who 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 actually is the one that gets the estate should anything well, he's the heir. happen because he is the actual heir. And as you pointed out earlier, sees through Barry's bullshit, right? Yeah. Like just sees through it yeah. and and more importantly we're set up to see from the from the very first right, the, the second begins marriage carriage ride uh, you know Ryan and uh, uh, Barry and Lady Lyndon establishing his kind of rebelliousness that uh, tacit the very next scene is Reverend Runt and Lord Bullington and Lord Bullington this like eight year old kid is like he's a fucking philanderer a usurper an opportunist and I'll never accept him and yeah. Yeah. And we are then kind of led into the dynamics that move us forward from this. Which and, is- you know, and, and well, oh, and then the, the big thing about this is Redmond Barry is now Barry Lyndon because he takes his wife's name because mm-hmm. he is trying to move up the ladder. And mm-hmm. the thing is, well, and this will become more important in a few minutes here. Um, the thing is, just having his wife's name isn't enough because uh, the son from the first marriage is still the heir. He gets everything yep. should yeah. uh, Lady Lyndon pass away. So he... So, Still, like, in, so on the surface, he has made it, but nothing is secure for him. Yeah, and the person who reminds him of this, of course, is his mother, right? Barry's mother, yes. who has come from Ireland to live at the at the at the Linden estate with him as well, and forms, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, mm-hmm. right? Like Barry's mother comes back in and plays a little bit more of a formative role in driving the action forward as well. Well, yeah. and she, is she also because Barry doesn't really talk all that much in this film, um, and in the first part, mm-hmm. in the first part of the movie, there are enough extra characters in every scene. They can do most of the topping and talking and Barry mostly just gives, nods. And, yeah. He mostly yeah. just gives the drama face into the camera. Mm. <laughs> um, in this one, they need to hearken back to his lineage somehow. And they do that very literally with yeah, by his mom, the mom yep. um, yeah. and his mom um, brings in the gremlin in the back of his mind, which is interestingly is not something Scarface had because Scarface sort of hit the formalist top of nobility. Barry has one more step that well, Barry, he ultimately yeah. fails to achieve, yeah. and that is peerage. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he does not have peers. Well, see what's see, see 
Well, what um, what America was so great was that all you needed was the money and property. You didn't, and you could get the power and the women. Yeah, but we're still at a point where you still need the name. And yep. even taking his wife's name is not enough. He's not a count. He's not a viceroy. Like he, on paper, is still roughly a nobody, even though he has the trappings of the aristocracy. Mm-hmm. First you get the money, <laughs> then you get the woman, yeah. and then you get the power. Yeah, <laughs> That's the European method <laughs> of making your way to the top. So, But in order to secure this for him, right, he is essentially has set himself up with this kind of noble fixer, right? Like yeah. This, uh, yeah someone, he's gonna the Lord him, Barrister Hollum. He's yes. going to get him into the right parties. He's going to introduce him to the right people. He's going to tell him who he needs to cut checks to. I, I, I love Hallam's introduction because he, he lays out his usefulness mm-hmm. in in a pragmatic way. Hallam is the, uh, what's the guy's name? He is the Captain Grogan mm-hmm. of Prussian aristocracy. Yeah. Right? He rides above everything. Mm-hmm. And he, unlike Grogan, doesn't, he, he doesn't die. So no. Hallam has another thing figured out. But basically, Hallam explains that the people that he trusts are the best. Yes. Um, they're not the best at anything. They're not the They're most just moral the yeah. characters. They're just, yeah. Not the cleverest, not the stupidest, you know, not yeah. the best born, not the richest, just the best. The best, yeah. The people of which there is no question. Well, and what is led into this, right, is that Barry has to spend, right? He has to, in order to secure this title, right, he has to not just merely play the role, but ensure that he... It, I guess ingratiates himself into the yeah. Into this I mean, well to the point machine. to the point where he's like funding uh, battalions to go fight in the American Revolution so that he looks good for the king. Yeah, it's, then, it's uh, about the precision. It's the tactical spend of funds. Yeah. Yes, and so there's two things I want to get from this. Right. <laughs> First thing is we are we're, we're we are shown into this the the lavishness with which he must spend. Uh, is, of course, the means of this is not his own, but is, of course, his wife. And his wife, at this point, is she has to sign all the checks. Like, she's essentially just the, the check signer yes. at so, this but, point. And that's the, so we get this... The signatory. Yeah, yeah we get this, she is yeah. the signatory. We, so we get this scene where uh, Barry and their, you know, their accountant or whatever are laying out these expenditures before mm-hmm. her, and she has to sign every notice of yeah. payment that comes before this. Second thing I love about this is that it is shown and and implied but not directly stated that there is that there is somehow this like cottage industry of people whose sole purpose is to like fleece these social climbers to get these limited peerage opportunities <laughs> because it routinely says that like Barry not only did he buy the best not only did he entertain the best but oftentimes overpaid for doing so yeah. which implies that he should have that that someone who had made it would have been you know bargaining down the price of these things, but not when you're on the way up. You don't do that when you're on the way up. Yeah, and it also shows that he's he is out of his element on this front. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's it's possible that he could have done this thriftily, and is his mom sort of implied when she talked about the uh, the judicious use of funds that someone wiser than Barry with money. Instead of the easy come, out. easy go, yeah. could could have done a better job yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, but Barry is not built that way. Bar- well, no. Barry is a high volume individual. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. Many, both in and many out. things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's and that is of course his downfall in the nobility. And mm-hmm. ironically, uh, to bring Scarface back up again, now that I'm seeing all the parallels, <laughs> it's exactly what Al Pacino does wrong. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he buys himself in too fast, mm-hmm. um, and, but and he's he's too low of stock. Although in the case of America, it was Italians instead of right. <laughs> instead of Irishmen. <laughs> um, but basically, uh, he he ultimately fails, and even proximately fails to do this. He gets one uh, he gets one glimpse at genuine Prussian royalty. Um, I forget who stops by. I think it's a prince, mm-hmm. and the prince's job, which is the worst fucking job in the world is to be in that foreshortened pillared hallway that the Chevalier was in, but somehow with even more opulence (laughs) and even more paintings on the wall and just a giant procession of people people who want to to shake his hand that he, that hope they remember his name Mm -hmm. and that like, that room contains what Barry is trying to achieve and he doesn't achieve it. He doesn't achieve it. But what a prize. Oh, you got that taste, man. <laughs> what a prize. <sighs> the guy might remember your name. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the thing he wants. And it's, you know, it, it this the striving for this, I think, you know, there's a lot of mockery within that. I mean, it's just... Because this is still satire. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, but, you know, I think once... So we're... Part of the part of the, the the fun of this film is is you know the, the 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 facets that are kind of running through it you know Barry's lecherousness his desire for something better for himself um, his you know uh, his inability to achieve it and what is we then get this like domestic drama kind of moving forward so as we're kind of moving towards the end here I think if there, um, we want to move into his relationship uh, first with Lord Bullington before Lord Bullington finally leaves the house as he's older. Yeah. And then also, finally, his relationship with his son uh, as well. Well, because yeah, well, that's his ultimate downfall. Yeah, uh, we'll cover we'll cover Brian once Bullington leaves because that's okay. most yeah, okay. that's where most of that yeah. occurs. Well, it, but it, but to cover just just real quick before we leave it, since this is this is pretty much the apex of Lyndon's um, journey. Right. It is funny that we we've been with this guy for two and a half hours now, mm-hmm. and sure, the movie starts off on a stupid foot. But the reason why the cynicism is appropriate is. It is a lens onto humanity. Mm-hmm. It is it is only stupid and ridiculous because we have to believe that there's a reason to do to not do these things. Mm-hmm. And Barry, through the whole film, I mean, he's a climber. He's a he's an Al Pacino in this yeah. film, mm-hmm. absolutely. But he's not at at every moment. The tension in his life just fucking kills him. Yeah. Like he can't stay where he is, and right. it's not even necessarily because what he has isn't quote unquote good enough. It's because something is dragging on him, Mm -hmm. you know, and every character he runs across is seemingly not in that predicament. I mean, to go back through my, my list of the cast of characters from the first one, Nora Brady, um, just got married to captain Quinn doing fine. Captain Quinn settled down, whatever. Captain Feeney is a highwayman. Like he has no ambitions whatsoever. Uh, Mr. Tool, uh, the guy that he fights in the boxing match, is just some jack off who's gonna never amount to anything, yep. and is probably still happier than Barry is uh, <laughs> every day of his life. Captain Grogan seemed content even in his dying breath. Yeah. Um, the German maid is lonely, but is absolutely doing nothing to you know. She'll, she'll encounter people on the road and have sex with them as they come across. She's yeah. not doing anything about that. Um, Captain Potsdorf, maybe. Like may- maybe, except that he's a captain for at least three years, according to the story. Yeah. Um, and like he's none of these people, the Chevalier, 
The Chevalier is just accruing money and he's probably just as shitty with it as Barry is. No, it even says that. He says, you know, because despite like the kind of appearance of wealth that they have, really all they have is like nice their gambling and table trinkets. and a nice clothes and some trinkets. Like he doesn't actually have anything. Like there's there's one dynamic object in this film and it is Barry Lyndon. <laughs> yeah. Like he's the one person who is too upset by the things that happened to him to stay where he is. Well, and that's the right. That's a little bit of the secret here, right? Like the, the contentment of being in one's place is kind of the secret for why other well, people. I mean, his wife isn't content, happiness. but she's basically born as like a rich person and that's, with nothing to do, and she's just sad and depressed all and, the time. And that kind of brings us to like the wider notion of the aristocracy in this film yeah. as well. Anyway, right? Resignation. These, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, they, that's what I said. They're born into it, and then they like it is almost their like. They're, they're sad burden to maintain it, yeah. right? Like, it's fucking hilarious. Which which is the perfect segue for Lord Bullingdon's protest, yes. which is what happens next. Yes. Um, Lord Bullington gets whipped by his stepfather, they're not Obviously thrilled not about getting, it. Lo- getting along well. Um, <laughs> Bullingdon comes in with Brian wearing his shoes, clomping well, through. Well, Bullington is now older now. He's like a yeah. teenager, and Brian's about eight years old Yeah, he's, he's still in the delinquent, not infantile stage yeah, of his um, life. Yeah, you know, Oh, and then uh, they're, you know, doing a music hosting and they have a lot of people over. Yeah, and Lady Lyndon is playing the piano. Yeah. yeah part of the, sh- uh, part of the uh, whole thing that uh, Lord Halloran's trying to get uh, Barry in. It's part of the... It's part of Barry's uh, uh, campaign for uh, for peerage, right? Yeah. yeah. That this event is. And and Bullingdon... Crashes the fucker. Crashes it, d- crashes it with his own son. Yes. With Barry's own son. Yeah. Gives a, an illustrious speech declaring himself in exile yep. in protest of this. And then Barry beats the shit out of and him. And this is... Okay, so this is another... <laughs> it's ama- so brutal. Amazing. Okay, so, I, so I heard brutal. in the filming of this, this had about 17 takes, and Kubrick kept telling Ryan O'Neill to hit this Vitaly guy harder... Vitaly de- dedicated his life to Kubrick, so he just accepted the abuse anyways. And in that moment, a disciple was born. Yeah, in that moment, literally. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Ryan O'Neill, like, comes and sucker punches him from behind, like, hard. And what's great is the dynamic of this fight scene, because everyone's in their fucking gay-ass fucking 18th century attire with slippery shoes. So like all these people get up to try to break this fight and they're like sliding all over the place. (laughs) So much, so much marble. It's so much silk. Like I said, it's no friction or traction whatsoever. It's so well choreographed. It's it's the most chaotic fight (laughs) and it takes place in the most prim setting. Any fight in the film does. Yes. And the juxtaposition of that is fucking stark. Well, and, you know... The, it, fe- it feels out of control in a way that fights like that rarely do. Absolutely. And for, and you know... All, but that's what I mean. And, and, like, it could only be that out of control because of the way these people exist. Like, the way they dress, the way they carry themselves, the way this fucking concert is put together. Like... They're not ready for it. They're just... Yeah, these people are not ready for a situation like this. Absolutely. And, you know, Barry's rage at this, right, is because, you know, Bullington comes in and basically... Embarrasses him. Yeah, well, you know, he has he has Barry's son, Brian, wearing his two big own shoes. Yeah. He comes clod hopping into the middle of this fucking musical performance. And Brian's just like, hey, look at me! Un- unaware of why, what... What, what the, be, the, well, being the impact yeah. of this and situation. Bullington knowingly is using the kid, yeah. right? And so, you know, Bullington's own selfish motivations behind this can't be can't be you know, misstated as well. He fucking is intentionally going in to rouse Barry and humiliate him in front of people. And 
fucking succeeds, right? Oh, like, yeah. In a way that I don't think he understood how it was going to play out. So regardless, like you said, the outcome of the scene is that Bullington essentially leaves the Linden estate, le- leaves the Linden household. And, and and then he tarnishes like all of Barry's chances for peerage because everybody at that event. It takes two to tango. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's mostly Barry's fault. No, I know. There's... Well, everything's mostly Barry's fault. But I'm saying is like, yeah, but this this definitely put a big damper in what he there was, was trying a graceful to do. solution to that problem that was not taken. Yeah. And well, even Lord Bullingdon, uh, you know, when he does come back, uh, realizes that he didn't act in the best manner. But but the he can only arrive at that conclusion after rap, after uh, the fact after wrestling with something that we Ryan you you had talked about the resignation of the aristocracy mm-hmm. here. Lord Bullingdon becomes our second act protagonist yes. and that is hugely ironic mm-hmm. in 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 a more global sense because lord bullington like what he perceives to be unjust is that the status quo has been disrupted yep absolutely it is. Um, and the, and this guy is spending his money the, mm-hmm. the fact the fact that barry his like well, this is the thing like yeah. this is it's it, it is absolutely only under the pretense that the divine right of kings is just yeah. that lord bullington has a point because yeah. even if barry linden is this philandering gambler mm-hmm. he was he wooed someone who had many suitors right? yeah like fair game he won the bride right. mm-hmm. that's and he played by the rules but he didn't play by the unwritten rules, which is no Irishman. Yeah. And uh, this is, <laughs> which is brought up several times. Yes. We actually skipped one of my favorite li- like, like throwaway lines in the film when Potsdorf um, unmasks Barry. And he says, you know, you referred to a general who's been dead for 10 months. You said the German ambassador from Britain had a ridiculous name like O'Grady. It's it's like, know your place, young man. And Lord Bullingdon, despite being young, this is all he knows. And he is is so resigned to the way things are Mm -hmm. that he's willing to die for it. Yeah. Um, And that's... His his character's fantastic. Yeah, like, absolutely. It's oh, it really is. Really good. Is. No, I mean, because you you do feel for him. Like, yeah. that's all he knows. Yeah. Even if it's corrupt and insane, that's what he's got. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, but he's gone for a while, and yeah. like the days of heaven in our previous film, <laughs> yes. we, get, we get to know we we get to know what life is like without tension. Yeah. Um, and Barry Lyndon and his son Brian and Lady Lyndon all you know. Well, you know, they have so a good he, time. Yeah, but here's the thing: it's like a little bit too good because you know, uh, Barry Lyndon dotes on his son too much, so much so that he literally has no control and has no ability to discipline him and yeah, can't say no can't say no and this will be his demise mm-hmm. well Absolutely. he's never he's never had responsibility no he doesn't he doesn't understand how that works right um and he's just he's just not equipped for it yep. no um and that that leads him into trouble thankfully his uh, mom is there to take care of the bills mm-hmm. um which have been stacking and stacking oh, yes. and stacking oh, yes. in his failed attempt to become royalty um mm-hmm. Which is definitely not going to happen now. Um, and uh, there is an inflection point when Mrs. Barry brings... Oh, no, 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 my bad. I, I have this... Oh, I, I skipped a point here. Um, so one of the results of Barry being incapable of genuine discipline mm-hmm. 
is uh, that Brian does not have that discipline instilled in him. No, yeah. no. And that leads to his eventual demise on a horse, but uh, killing yeah. with kindness, I guess, would be yeah, the expression well, well, we okay, use. Okay, so the kid already has a pony, and he's like, but daddy, I want a horse. Like and, father, like son, like you know, grandfather. And, yeah, and then uh, dad's, you know, he's like, the other kid is one year older than me, and he has a horse. Why don't I have a horse? Yeah. Like, and, or they get to go on the hunt, father. Or they yeah, get to go on the hunt. Yeah, so of course... You know, daddy has to give in to him and buys him a horse. But then he tells him, you can't have it till your birthday. And mom tells him, you can't ride it without your dad's supervision. Does Brian listen? Of course not. He's never been disciplined. So he gets up early in the morning before anyone's up. He goes and gets on this horse. And you know what? Horses are fucking dangerous. They are. (laughs) <laughs> Even for full-size people. Yes. Let, let alone small-size people. Yes. And, uh, you know, he breaks his back on the horse. Yeah. Uh, he <laughs> suffers some massive contusion of some kind. Can't and, feel the um, rest of his body. And, oh, man. And then, we get, and then we get a scene where if, if the indignation of Lord Bullington did not, um, was, was not sufficient, um, at this point, it's really easy to buy into the fucking agony of watching this child basically die. Oh, see, I find this this whole thing fucking hilarious. Sure, <laughs> but you, but it, it is tinged also, in a way I'm, the old stuff is not. No, I know, I know, but I'm also I'm also against any kids and horse. I'm against like anybody riding horses. So I figure you just you get what you deserve. Man, if you're gonna get on a fucking this, horse. This 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 little fucking kid, Brian Linden, is the most heartfelt, the most Hold my positive. Hand, Oh man, so innocent. So you know he's he's been injured and he's lying on his deathbed, and he says, "Dad, mother, dad, I can't feel my hands or my legs. Is it because they're already dead? You know, and you're like, fuck, kid. Like, what about I fucking answer that question? I think he tells he tells his parents. He's like, you guys can't argue because I want to see you in heaven. Yeah, promise me, promise me you'll never quarrel again. As they're like holding his hand, like, oh my god, <laughs> fucking, and, and you know. Uh, you know, for Lyndon, you know, for Barry, you know, like, like this was everything. This was like the only thing that was like that that like meant anything in his life. Especially since he lost, he's lost so much so far, right? Yeah. Especially after the humiliation and the and his rejection by the upper crust, right? Like, yeah. fuck, man, he loses that, and he fucking. It's also his own fault because you know, fucking. Well, no doubt, right? But there's still like. It's, I think it still has to like kind of revolve around the sense that this wasn't earned, right? Like, I mean, you know, Barry's, it is not conclusive that Barry is somehow more morally corrupt than the other people in this film, right? Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the thing too, where, you know, the tragedies that befall and ultimately lead to to lead to his demise is right. It's, it's, it's part of his story. And, you know, like, I think the, the thing is that there, you know, once again, we have a movie with no heroes and, you know, we're in this realm where I really feel for Lyndon and it's just a, a great contrast between uh, when we're really supposed to empathize with Lyndon and the one heartfelt thing I think he really felt in his life, which is by the way, too, I just want to set as an aside, there is no indication uh, that lady Lyndon is any less attached, right? Because in the scene, where Bullington uh, leads Brian in and humiliates him during the musical performance. Lady Lyndon runs runs, runs out of the room Brian. with Brian. Yeah. Right? With Brian no, I mean, uh, she's, clutched in. Yeah, I mean, 
So Bolingdon is very attached to the mom, but the mom is equally as attached to Brian. Well, and what we, of course, I think reveal is the is the perfidy of, of Bullington's motivations, which mm-hmm. is that later on, we, of course, realize that Bullington's, uh, Bullington's affront uh, uh, is affronted by uh, these actions uh, because he simply wants the, you know, he feels that Barry has taken his place yeah. in that, in this, in this organization, in this structure, which is of course bookended by the scene, by the end scene of the movie. But mm-hmm. I get ahead of myself. Well, not we're too almost, far. Yeah, we're, oh, yeah. we're, we're almost, almost there. there. Yeah, so there. Brian dies. Fucking, yes. Yeah. Brian yeah. dies. In the most he's, dramatic he's, fucking <laughs> ridiculous. He's, he's carried oh. away in a, uh, in a little white, in a tiny casket. coffin guys. And look, I don't want, Toodle I don't carried by sheep. By sheep. Guys, look, I don't ask for much. But I would like a funerary procession, and that, that just want, I just want to put that out there. Right? I don't okay. want. I, I want. My, I want my funeral to be in motion. Okay. I don't want okay. it to be in, okay. a, in a very placid. Okay, room, right? need, okay. There needs to be some sort of movement. So a caravan and pulled by sheep. What? However, okay. I mean, go. You know, let your imaginations we'll, run wild. And we'll, we'll we'll throw in we'll we'll throw in the strings. Yes, okay. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, that that's the most fucking dour song. It comes up like five times. Oh in this yeah. Movie. <laughs> Um, out of, yeah, but like some processional, okay, right? Okay. Whether or not there movement. are effigies or placards of okay. my visage on them, optional. Okay. But movement, not optional. So now that the one good thing in the world has died, no one's having a good time. <laughs> no. uh, Barry is in distress. Barry basically drinks himself retarded all the time. And uh, Lady Mrs. Linden, Linden does the same. And but yeah, Barry, but she's, by turning she's, to the yeah, tutelage but, of but her she, reverend. You know, she's, yeah. she's vacant and affected by the vapors. And uh, Barry's mother seems to be running the show and, um, you know, seemingly is, you know, reorganizing the household, seeing off everything that was, that was, yeah, because she understands that the, the, the spending can't continue this way. Barry is also, uh, uh, Mrs. Barry is, Mm -hmm. is also as the, uh, the person of Irish heritage Mm -hmm. remaining is, is probably, uh, Far less affected by infant mortality yes. than yeah. the other people in this scene yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, she's she's probably surprised at this ratio at this point, mm-hmm. um, and is wondering why they don't have more children. Yeah, but um, they're not <laughs> they're not those type of people anymore. Um, Mrs. Barry still good with books though, um, and she she's continues shrewd, to attend to yeah, the shrewd businesswoman, the mm-hmm. ten thousand details, as it were. Yep. Um, and she tries to put her hand on the till. Yeah, she tries quite to, unsuccessfully. She tries to fire Reverend Runt, and he is not having this. Yeah, Mrs. Barry's first real power play is not a not a raging success. It's not. Yeah, she could have gone for maybe lower hanging fruit. <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of staff. I'm sure they didn't need all those people that just stand by the front door and be yeah. like, "Oh yes." But regardless, the runt, runty. Yeah, gone. she's like, she's like listen, there's no more kids. We don't need a tutor. You're yeah. out of here. Well, I, I mean, to be, <laughs> but it is clearly also a power play. You know, like, I know, like I know, I know. Atten- Miss Barry is trying to use this this moment of weakness to assert some power, and it doesn't go very well. No. Um, both Reverend Runt and Graham, their accountant, uh, basically rat on rat on her to um, Lord Bullingdon. Lord Bullingdon, and he comes back into town. He uh, returns for our final bout of yes. satisfaction. Yes. Um, so uh, there is... There's there's a procession to this. The, the, okay. Not, not the duel, but before, no, but before, before it happens. Okay, so he goes to whatever the club is that Lyndon is wasted, <laughs> passed out in a chair with a bunch of other people standing around doing nothing. It is absolutely gorgeous like the way he comes into this door there's someone standing there there's some more people standing around they're like is 
is Mr. Linden here? Yes, he's in the back. He walks through this long hallway. He comes around. There's this gorgeous room. There's like a, there's some like enormous fucking romantic paintings on the wall that look like they could be of the scene that we're actually the, shooting. That's the important part. It's, like you've got these pictures and it's always, it's, it's that weird terrifying moment when someone tweeted this a handful of years ago that every museum is just full of medieval selfies. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this scene, it was a chance for Kubrick to basically reenact six or seven renaissance era yeah. paintings it, and they look so good yeah. fucking gorgeous it's so good it's got, yeah like barry is passed out on a chair there's like a cluster <laughs> of people doing absolutely nothing next yeah. to him posing for the camera yeah it, it's it's just the 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 setup on the shot is just fucking beautiful it's so nice um you know but then bullington who you know he's he's a soft cowardice uh, type of individual. He's, he's got the Habsburg genes. Yeah, yeah. He's not not a real commanding character, you know, figure. Um, he, you know, wakes up Barry, and you know, he's like, "I should have done this earlier," but like, you know, here we are, bitch. Here we yeah. are. Hopefully, statute of limitation isn't done on this. <laughs> I am demanding my satisfaction, and we all know what that means. It's time for a duel. It's time for a oh, duel in the baby. Prussian fashion, yeah. which is somehow even slower than the British version. <laughs> but oh my god, this scene this is duel so is a good. fucking disaster. It's so good. It's great because it's 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 like in it's in kind of like a like a horse stall, and the only light is from these small like. Uh, crucifix style slits in the wall that yeah. are coming down and shining on yeah. our two massive characters. massive massive no you know no roof 30 40 yeah. feet above their heads so yeah. you're in this you're inside a space but it's it's an it's this huge open interior and man oh man you know like you're presented the basic dynamic right so we begin you know to cover the rules we go through the formalities we go through the formalities of loading the guns of selecting the pistols yeah they of, they of assigning the space where each man will stand yeah they literally litigate who gets which pistol like they yeah. they, they talk through that yeah. process there are five people there the person they have talking um the, the person they have talking through the procedure is talking slowly on top of having a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fine because after three and a half hours, mm -hmm. and again, this this laundry cycle yes, of yes. bullshit, there is so much to think about. The scene is probably too short. Yeah. Like, because the, the implications of everything that happens. I mean, uh, first you have the instructions, and Lord Bullington spends this entire scene in just rapt fear. Yes. Like, yeah. he has no yeah. fucking idea how this is going to go. Yeah. Why, he, he is he, not, unlike unlike uh, Barry, he is, you know, he has not gone through this multiple times well, already. And Bulling, Bullington only has the courage of his station, which is fucking hollow to begin yes. with, right? Yeah. Like, he has none of the moxie or metal of anyone who could achieve this with through merit, right? He only is standing up for the title itself. And, like... Whereas Barry is not... He is literally... He's battle-hardened. Yeah. He's had multiple lovers. He is... He is world-weary. He has been in multiple duels. Not, okay. Not only did he achieve it, but he also lost it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's like... Yeah. It's like a, no, and, and he has the resignation, finally, mm -hmm. of someone with nothing to lose. Yeah. And the, it begins... 
Uh, Lord Bullington wins the coin toss. Um, <laughs> that means he gets to shoot first. Which means he gets to shoot first, which is this amazing concept. Um, and and what does he do? He's so inept. He's He is so out of his element. Mm-hmm. He fucks up cocking the pistol. Yep. And basically just backfires on him. But, yeah. but that counts. That counts as a and, shot. Well, he and, doesn't know it. He's like... He doesn't know this, all the rules. Whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, I hang need on, a new on. gun. And then the proprietor, yeah. yeah, and then the- This isn't the, right, this isn't right. The overseer is like, no, 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 no. rules are. Rules That's are rules. That's the shot. <laughs> Lyndon gets to shoot next. <laughs> and the fear yeah. on his face is so fucking good. Oh God, I oh, I had to switch to this to it on the yeah, watching no. it on the screen, so yeah. we might be a little distracted. Right, he hasn't shot yeah. yet, but so but but, Barry, but now it's Barry's turn. It's right? not it's Barry's, Barry's turn. turn, and with the fucking moxie of a Bruce Willis, yeah, he <laughs> he's not yeah he's not going to shoot this kid. We don't know that immediately, no. right? But but the countdown starts. He goes one, two, and in what. I, I had never heard of this movie mm-hmm. and just based like, like how, um, like how Robert De Niro has that one scene. I don't, I don't remember the name of this movie to be fair, but it's a, it's a, it's a movie that everyone is supposed to have seen. It's like, I want that bitch dead. I want him dead. I want his house burned. Yeah. The yeah, yeah. That, Untouchables. And he plays Al Capone. Th- yeah. This scene where he fires, he, he looks straight at Lord Bullingdon, mm-hmm. who is just fucking can't even look at him. Can't, can't even, can't look, even at look at him. Look at him. Puts the pistol at a forty perfect forty five degree angle. Fires the shot. The smoke plume goes up, and doves go up in the background. Yeah, like, yeah. How is that not one of the most icon, like generically iconic scenes in film? Just because people can't sit through this because they're fucking idiots. Yeah, it's, really. It's this was the first scene of this movie I ever saw. Um, a friend of ours had bought the DVD and was showing us selected clips, and he showed us this scene out of it. So yeah. this was my first introduction to this movie was this that, scene. That, see, that kind of sucks because without <laughs> the movie to build to it, that I feel like that kind of cheapens it. But like, I mean, I, even, I mean, even without it, it's just yeah. a fucking oh, amazing. So then, but then after he does yeah. that shot, Lord Bullington, like he doesn't even know what to do. And then he goes and throws up in the corner. Yeah. Well, then, <laughs> but then like once, once, I mean, cause, Barry has clearly spared this kid, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Look, he's like, look, you know, like I have this opportunity to take it down, right? Yeah. I have this opportunity to take it, and I'm not going to take it. Barry right? has the high ground. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he and he relieves it. And so, like, this like but this fucking whelp can't let it let it lie at that, no. right? And I get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I get it. Yeah. Like, this is what's amazing about the perversity <laughs> of the situation. We started the very first scene of this movie. Is someone dying in a fucking... There he goes. Oh, he's going to hear... Oh. Upchucks. Oh. 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 Upchucks. I guess they fed that actor a bunch of raw eggs before the scene so that he could throw up legitimately. So he looks even more pale. Yeah. <laughs> but this this movie, it starts with a dumbass fucking dual altercation with yep. Barry's father, which is mostly result of a horse. This one's also mostly the result of a horse, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like... Horses were big business back then. <laughs> a lot of ups, a lot of downs when it comes to the horse business. Lord Bullington is defending honor, which is all he has. Barry is not even defending his own life. He's defend like he, yeah. he has he has absolutely nothing. Like yeah. all he wants in, in some way he wants exactly what Lord Bullington wants. Yeah. Which is for everyone to be okay. Yeah. yeah. Like that's all he can ask for anymore. 
And Lord Bullingdon says no mm-hmm. because he stands up mm-hmm. to this. But be, because like this is this was like his one opportunity to take a stand, and he feels like he has to. The fact that he didn't do this earlier, like he has to fucking stand up and, for himself. And, and he's he's lit, he's standing on the scaffold of the kindness of the person he's trying to destroy. I know. <laughs> and yet it feels noble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and that's that's the beauty of nobility is mm-hmm. that it, that that word is very double edged. Yes. Well, and then and then and then you know because there's procedure for this, you know, Barry takes his shot. So fucking good. And then. Lord Bullingdon then has the option to take another shot. Lord Bullingdon, in view of Mr. Lyndon having fired into the ground, do you now consider that you have received satisfaction? I have not received satisfaction. Well, and I could see too, because like the scene, right? This this look on his face, oh, he he almost hates him for sparing him, right? Like Bullington. Oh like, yeah. Like why didn't you fucking kill me? No, he fucking shakes his head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. Why didn't you fucking shoot me? Oh my god. Yeah. Why didn't you get what was coming to you? Yeah. So and the result of this, of course, is with the with Bullington's second shot, he does wound Barry in the fucking leg from ten paces away. Yeah. Yep. And it hurts, man. And so Barry gets, <laughs> Barry gets taken to an inn. Uh, Bullington has his triumphal return uh, to the family yeah, house, the family manor, and um, the, uh, just one quick scene too. You know, because this is medicine in the 1770s. You know, yeah. They call a surgeon <laughs> call who a just sur- looks at it and is like. And I do like that they do go through this step, which is that the surgeon just walks in, pokes the wound a little bit, and is like, "Gotta take the leg." And you're like, Whoa! <laughs> like, Barry's like, "Hold on here," you know, and like, we like everyone would have known what this would have meant, but I still like the idea that no matter how prevalent amputation is at any point in history, you're still like, "No, it's you it's, can't do anything about yeah. it." <laughs> Move those toes, man. Come on. Really? Yeah. So he loses the leg. Bullington assumes his rightful place and essentially sends his fucking. The account. Yeah. The hatchet man to go yeah. and explain to Barry that the, look. The all, new arrangement. All's forgiven. All you have to do is fuck off an exile for 500 guinea a year and we're, you're fine. Right. Never return again. Yeah. yeah well, and, well, 500 guinea a year. Yeah. We never see you again. All is good. Yeah. Satisfaction has been attained. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, you're being extremely arrested <laughs> yeah. on account of all these debts, which your wife is not signing for anymore. Oh, shit. And so, yeah. Um, so. And then we end with that lovely epilogue that David oh, had, okay. had read. Yeah. A little epilogue, which I'll read again just for good. It was in the reign of George III that the aforesaid personages lived and quarreled, good or bad, handsome or ugly, rich or poor. They are all equal now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is the exact right Oscar Wilde grade note to end this film on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did we mention this movie's three and a half hours long? We did. Okay. Several times. Yeah. And don't, yeah, that, I, that shouldn't, that should actually be a plus. It should have been four. Yeah. It could have been. I yeah. no problem with that. Again, um, I, I could have used another five minutes in the final duel. Okay. <laughs> I felt like, I felt like Lord Bullington uh, refused satisfaction a little too fast. <laughs> Well, and um, so I do. So this is also pretty famous as well. And um, I'll just mention it also. 
So Kubrick is kind of noted for ending his films. And the particular way that Kubrick ends his films is by, as the action or the last scene resolves itself, the very next thing that happens is a the main title uh, a title card that comes up that says written and directed by Stanley Kubrick yes. and it always ends as the film winds down towards the end bam you get the written and directed by Stanley Kubrick and with this film the slow pace of this last scene is um Bullington several years removed from the duel is going through the same handing of the payments uh, the to authorization mother. to mother to sign and the and we do this several times, and then we see Bullington really look at one of these as he as he slides it over to his mother. And we find he, it's the annuity for Barry. Yeah, he he yep. really gives her a long look. Yeah, and she looks looks down at the payment and pauses and looks up out into you know her the memory. Vapor. Yeah, into the vapor, into her memory, and recalls all of this, and then you know goes and signs and then moves on and this you know and then the scene ends and then bam written and directed by Stanley Kubrick and man like i always get such a charger at the end of these fucking films from this and a tour yeah absolutely and he is like you know after he's kind of put us through this whole thing right of this yeah. long ass movie um you know in the end where does Barry end up right well simply as what we kind of started off the film yeah. with right like this pecuniary arrangement between people is this um, is the, the the weird way in which uh, people uh, assess each other and interact with each other with this? And so Barry is merely right another another line item uh, of the aristocracy within this film. And as we kind of come full circle through this, and um, if I could give just a quick kind of like summation about Kubrick as well, the, the the inherent pessimism of this story, while it has humor, while it has a certain jaunty quality, especially in the wandering part mm-hmm. of the of the journey for the first uh, uh, for the first half of the film. You know, um, there is a lot of darkness within Kubrick as well, right? There is not a lot of happiness that ends up in his movies. And there aren't a lot of happy things that happen in this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And for Kubrick, you know, he's, uh, you know, for someone I think who's so like, you know, you know, forebrained and, 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 you know, has that kind of, um, you know, intuitive side to his personality, um, the deliberateness, the deliberateness with which he makes movies is something that I think we have to kind of reference here, which is that the ability to absorb yourself into this film, right? Wanting a three and a half hour to film to have been just a little bit longer, yeah. I think really sp- speaks and, and really testifies to the, to the world building that Kubrick is famous for here, right? Yeah. Like when, when approaching the world of Barry Lyndon, there's not a compromise in, in any sort of set uh, there's in not a compromise kind of in any art costume. Direction. Fucking yeah. Lady Linden's hair somehow gets more and more extravagant as the story oh progresses. Gosh. And it started out pretty hot. Fuck, yeah. man. And so there's like this. And what I think that I think I take a lot from Kubrick as a filmmaker and as someone who, you know, approaches art is his uncompromising nature, right? Like he simply has this notion or this idea of what it must be. And if it means we do this fucking fight scene 17 times, it means we we're do it. fucking resetting yeah. and doing it again. Yeah. And the the demands with which he took, uh, which, what, that he made from people, the demands he put on himself for his art is why he is noted, unique, and famous within the history of cinema. And I think it's something that when you we notice and feel whenever we watch a Kubrick film, right? There are... There are <laughs> there are good ones and there are great ones, right? Yes. But there, uh, and yet we are 
led into uh, his world uh, regardless, um, and it is well, the unique other one, and uncompromising. The, the, other, the other Kubrick film that we did on the podcast was 2001, and talk about like an immersive experience. And, you know, talk about the balls to make that thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's hard, to, dear listener, to ex- to try and extol what it's like to do that 30 years before, you know, Netflix allows people to fuck around like they do with millions of dollars, you know, like this, this was not some, you know, this was a risk that, that he took in, you know, getting the resources and more, I mean, the the time it takes to make this. Well, that's, yeah, these things like, like this, it was like a 16 month shooting schedule. Absolutely. Also, um, how do you pitch this film exactly? Because it's, um, what Irish man in the seven years war era on the plus side, a lot of the stuff that he does was adapted from novels. So you'd be like, Oh yeah, I'm redoing, you know, William peacemaker Thackeray's that seminal jaunty, you know, seminal work, uh, you know, the trials and tribulations of Redmond Barry or whatever the heck it was called originally. He's, he's, he's crafty, you know, in that sense, you know, but like, you know his his film two thousand one is not like Arthur C. Clarke's book, um, uh, Clockwork Orange is not like Burgess's Clockwork Orange. Well, but see, Barry okay, Linden so the movie is not he did like, after this because this movie was not a financial success. Yeah, I can't imagine. Again, the uh, pitch yeah. is a that's an uphill battle. So you know what movie he did because he needed something that would get people more. Uh, up and out of their seats. He followed this up with The Shining. Yeah, oh, okay. which, is, which yeah. is the best horror movie of all yeah. time, like, <laughs> and also better than the book. Which once again, right? Like it, the book, the movie yeah. he takes yeah. is well, not because, because the, Kubrick as a film director is way better at his craft than like Stephen King as a writer most days. Well, and he he sort of adheres to a he adheres to a very simple process of artistic creativity, which uh, I really wish more people understood which is that you should take things that bother you Mm -hmm. and make them better Mm -hmm. yeah because if you love rock music why would you make more rock music Mm -hmm. yeah it's just gonna it's just gonna be a cheap version of what's already good the most you're going to do is compound excellence whereas if you take something that is not quite there all right but has potential Mm mm-hmm you can do something with yes, that. Yes, absolutely. Like, for example, pre-Napoleonic era um, aristocracy mm-hmm. being injected with the motive dust of the Irish mm-hmm. is not a. That's not a thing. No, there's no. There was no pedestal no. that he was building on top. It's of even. There. I mean, because you know, the closest movie to this really would be like 1983 or four's like Amadeus, but that you're already working with someone famous. I mean, you're not even trying to. Improve yeah, the, the subject matter the is subject much matter more familiar. Already speaks for itself. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know. Um, and that is the most daring anyone has got since. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a shame that like we can't make three and a half hour epic glacier paced films anymore. Well, and even, even if you wanted to make a ninety minute version of the thing that we're referring to here, I mean, Netflix and Amazon are supposed to be letting people do this now. Like they are throwing money at projects. Yeah, just but to then, get... they're, but then, they're, then they're, but the problem is those projects end up being, hey, people like paychecks. They're not like they're not like fucking undertakings. Well, the, the closest the closest you get is something like what is the the curious? What's the one where it's the baking? It's the baking oh. show with the, the no. The actually, you know what the closest one is? It's the Wachowski TV show. Uh, what was that one? Sense8. Sense8, because that thing was like eight 
episode. So it was like a long Didn't format. It like million per it, the, listen, <laughs> for yeah, for like an eight episode TV series, that thing is so entwined in plot. It goes to so many fucking exotic locations and it like it's like really like they they, they really just poured fucking everything into it and i don't think they're going to fund another season of it because <laughs> you know experts estimated that sense8 was costing netflix 9 million dollars an episode by comparison games of thrones was costing about six million dollars an episode. Okay, so nine yeah. million for Sense Eight and six million for Game of well, Thrones. But I would, yeah. you know, I think that where what is kind of unique about a Netflix and or uh, with a little bit more of indulgence, which is, um, you know, so I think you know we've watched uh, one recently, which is the Coen Brothers' Ballad of Buster Scruggs, right? Mm -hmm. Which yeah. is something that I don't think would have been released. They, but solely that's what for I mean. The that's theater. not something they would have been able to get funding for otherwise. Well, and what I do think, I, uh, so this has just been a recent release, and we should, you, if you have not seen it, you should definitely watch it. Is um, uh, Alfonso Cuarón's uh, Roma, which was just released on Netflix I've as heard, well, but not seen. Yeah, it's some shit. That's some. Okay. And I, once again, it is hard to see the, the a movie like this being being made. Um, you know, within the modern system. So I think that maybe Netflix might be coming around, but unfortunately there is a the lot of zone, fucking shit. the guy shit. that did Gravity? Gravity and okay. uh, Children of Men as well. As, uh, oh, as well. okay, yeah. okay. Um, but like, once again, there's just not, there is a lot of dregs that goes on with some of this, right? Like the, the resources are not exactly... You know, being spent, I think, wisely overall. No, you, you end up getting drudges like the like whatever the silly comic western was that just has a hundred cameos because it's like, oh, Netflix gave us money and people like paychecks, so you just put out whatever kind of dreck and move well, on. They, they arguably spend too much money on the actors. That's what I mean. <laughs> That's I, that that is sort of where that gets absorbed. I mean, there's because I, I I don't I didn't look up what the budget for Barry Lyndon was. I've got it here, presumably if it's on the Wikipedia page. What twelve million dollars? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can put that together. I mean, the thing the thing that doesn't account for that Kubrick brings that a lot of these directors probably don't, of course, is Kubrick. Is his um, time? So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Is yeah. is his patience? Yes. Um, I, who uh, it's, it's, David I'm, Lean is the guy who did Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Like that, that, the kind of patience it takes to put together a yeah. scene with a hundred extras in the well, middle see, of Ireland or Egypt. So that's what, so like on the little side note, uh, Lord, the actor that played Lord Bullingdon was so impressed with like Kubrick's, the way that he put this production together. He was like so enamored at like how meticulous he was about doing this he's like you'd be on set i mean people were like hand sewing costumes for weeks and stuff like that mm -hmm. yeah. um that he yeah he de like he he quit his film career to become kubrick's right hand man <laughs> like he literally like it was it was just like follow great people like this is as good as it's gonna fucking get yeah no and <laughs> no, in, in certain i i don't know that the great man theory of history is completely accurate but there are it works in certain cases there are there are edge cases where yeah, it is very yeah. real um and though i'll need to see another malik film before i admit him into my mind palace he, those people, no the problem is he <laughs> it, it, it gets worse with him. i don't I, we already i don't want to really uh, yeah, no, that. it's yeah. been too long but, don't, but, i'm not even going to respond but but no i mean there's uh, there aren't very many people who could have made this film. No, like no. It's, and, but I'm glad that he did. Yeah. And I'm no, glad that I got to watch it. It's a fucking great film. Yeah. Um, that's what I mean. But like who, nobody talks about, nobody even fucking knows what this movie is. No. 
I had literally never heard of it. Yeah, nope. even like Victor, like uh, his brother, I was like, oh yeah, watch, but he didn't, he didn't know, he'd never heard of this. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's not a catching title, but, <laughs> and, and again, the pitch sucks. Yeah. Like, the pitch is not good at all. Um, and it is, it, it, it has a sort of boring docu, like nature documentarian quality to it, which is, part of why it works so well. Yeah. I mean, it's not, and and what's interesting is that the nature documentary pitch works just fine at this point because Attenborough has opened that door. Yeah. Like people yeah. can hear Planet Earth 2 and that that's not an immediate turnoff. Like yeah. people will actually look at that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it took, it took a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately movies regressed since then because yeah. movies are all other than the Netflix, the, the very specific examples that we're talking about I and mean, movies have moved in the other traumatic blockbuster direction where if you're not, you know, if you're not saving the world, yeah. why, from, why from some arbitrary threat, that, wh- like, why even put sense? it out in a cinema? Like right, yeah. why waste our time? Um, and that sucks shit and that needs to stop. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, we don't live in that universe. Mm-hmm. No, and but thankfully, films, um, thankfully, there were movies like this. We are going to take a slight detour from that because I wanted to take as hard a turn as possible as a palate cleanser from the epic, and we are going to watch a version of that blockbuster. Um, we're so, we gonna watch a '90s period piece. David? Uh, we are. We're going to. Uh, <laughs> we didn't watch Commando, but we're going to watch the the '90s Commando. Um, so Steven Seagal would love for Under Siege to be called a blockbuster. <laughs> I just want to preface this. Although I do enjoy Under Siege as an action movie, Steven Seagal is a piece of shit. Oh, he's, yeah. he's, uh, he's bad. Yeah, he's, he's bad. He's a horrible human being. He's bad. I, I was going to try to push <laughs> for us to watch one of his more recent um, South Korean productions, which is the only place he can get them made now. Um, are they watchable? No, absolutely not. That's that's kind of why I wanted to see it because okay, okay. they are so they are so. But they're the but opposite. they're short. We could do a double header. I that's if if we're feeling game after okay, Under Siege, okay. we might do that. But okay. I want to I want to rebathe in someone who clearly is a little more loose on the details. Nice. All right. And you, yeah, like Steven Seagal, someone who plays it fast and loose. Yeah, a palate, a palate cleanser indeed. Indeed. Um, so we'll be doing Under Siege next, um, but. Yeah, I. You should see Barry Lyndon. Yeah, it's it's, it's weirdly fucking awesome. It's it's getting harder to, to watch now for whatever reason. Amazon doesn't even have the rights to it anymore. I couldn't rent it on Amazon. Wow, uh, that was quick. Okay, okay. So so it was about December. It was like probably right around Christmas time. I saw Barry Lyndon. It was free on Prime streaming, and I was like, "Hey, movie group, will someone watch this movie with me? I'll be back in town." January 1st, (laughs) January 2nd comes around. It's no longer on free prime streaming, but we can rent it. And now we're two weeks later and now you can't even rent it. Yeah. You can't even rent it. So it was, yeah, it was some sort of rolling boil there. Um, But uh, so buy the Blu-ray and uh, if you don't have a Blu-ray player, I guess buy a Blu-ray player. It's worth 70 bucks. Yeah. You, You have nothing better to do on Sunday. Just fucking watch this instead of whatever bullshit you thought you were going to do. No doubt. Yeah. And then watch it again, mm-hmm. and then watch it again. I watched Barry Lyndon three times today. <laughs> I watched it once today. Yeah, I, I put it on. I, I woke up and put it on and on just loop. put it on repeat. Nice. 
I'm glad everyone liked it. It's fucking great. Yep. I'll probably watch it again. No, we've had we've had a hot month, man, between, you know, um uh uh, Lawrence, Lawrence man, Lawrence, yeah. yeah, yeah, we've had some real fucking top tier shit. Uh, it's yeah. been pretty good. So it's, let's. I'm glad, yeah, there, I'm glad there was some decade that yeah. made good. And what movies. are we watching next, David? Yeah. <laughs> let's take it down a notch. <laughs> let's tone it down. Let's get a little more relaxed. Uh, Ryan's uh, Ryan's getting a little stir crazy, so I think we'll wrap this up here. Uh, yeah, yeah, cool. Ryan, Nicole, thanks for being part of the machination Thank you. vlog. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>